Welcome to Young Culture Buys Podcast. I'm your host, Kamara Williams. Now, on our show, we say culture is a matter of perspective, opinion. After all, culture is just another way to say discovered. We are on culture, we are biased, and we are black. Now, I know I started off this program a little bit different this time. I wanted to hit, hit you all with a poem by Gil Scott Heron called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Uh, it's one of my favorite poems, but I think it's apropos for this show that we're going to do today. But before we get into that, I just want to do some house cleaning. Uh, First of all, I want to uh, remind everybody to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and obviously on my website, KamaraWilliams.com, where I have an active blog. All the times I will provide filler for that week's episode and sometimes cover topics that I didn't even get to get mentioned on the podcast or I just wanted to expand upon. 
Um, as, of course, a place for loyal listeners to request a certain topic or they just want to see something covered in future episodes. Um, also, if you're listening on either Apple or Spotify, especially if you're listening on Apple, please be sure to rate the episode. Um, give me a five-star rating. I would love that. Uh, that's part of the way that Apple grades podcasts, not just with um, subscri- people who subscribe, but also rating, engagement, leaving comments on Apple, right? And also, if you listen to the episode all the way through. So that's how they can, they manage engagement. It's just this weird algorithm, but it works. And that's how we want to make sure that we're continuing to keep relevant on these other platforms. I want to give a special shout out to some loyal listeners, uh, Jamie Bellade Moses and Christopher Henry. Not only do we appreciate the support of the podcast, but we also appreciate the interaction and the sharing of this podcast among that you guys have done among your friends and the text messages and the social media um, lookout. So what I'm asking and I'm why is I'm highlighting them because I know for a fact they have not only pushed out the podcast to their friends, but you know, one of the things I would say about um, especially in the early going to this podcast is that I want you uh, who are listeners to, you know, text it to your friends. I think personal engagement on anything is an important basis of getting people to listen. We don't want to be the best kept secret. It's just like when you have a great song or great album or something like, or great movie, like, yo, have you guys checked this out? Please do the same thing. We, we would much appreciate it. Um, it helps keep the program growing. And the more people that listen, the more, you know, podcasts I will do. You know, I don't want to be just 20 loyal listeners uh, listening to it. I'm not, I'm not saying that's how much we have, but you guys get the point. So, all right, we've done all that. All right, um, let's get into the program. And what I want to do is talk about the movie the, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. And with me, I have some friends uh, who are avid movie listeners. Uh, you already know one of them is introducing uh, Rob. Rob, you still here? Yes, sir. All What's right. going on? Yeah, so we know who Rob is. Rob's uh, done a couple of these podcasts with us. Uh, you know, he's always gonna, he's a staple uh, a guest. I don't even know if we would call you a guest, but just... This is, this is a staple, but yeah, you know what I mean? But, you know, Rob is just somebody, like I said, we just we discuss movies all the time, and um, you guys have enjoyed those last couple of podcasts regarding that, so uh, we appreciate, you know, the support, and Rob is back. Um, and now we want to introduce somebody uh, who is also a good friend within our friend click, um, Ken who is, again, an avid <laughs> movie watcher and music listener. And um, I want to, you know, first, Ken, say, say what's up. Hello, everybody. All right, so I'm going to be, as we do with most first-time guests, we're going to give you a round of applause for being the first-time guest. <laughs> Appreciate that. Appreciate it. So, Ken. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to say this, and you didn't know I was going to do this, but um, I think it's appropriate that you're on this podcast. Uh-oh. Tell me why. Because we call you internally within our friend group, <laughs> we call you Black Jesus. <laughs> because Candy could literally build anything. <laughs> like a carpenter. That's what it's the carpenter, carpenter man. Carpenter man. And, and, you know, and then you got the, right now you're wearing the, rocking a beard. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, so you look I, like, I enjoy playing with wood every now and then. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said that. No. Yo. Yo, yo, we starting off wild. Yeah. All right. Nah, nah. Um, it, you know, just 
building stuff as a hobby. Um, I just enjoy you know, creating and you know building stuff on my spare time when I have time. Yeah, but you know I enjoy doing that. Um, you know, and you're also you know in education. So I mean, you kind of you kind of. <laughs> So you, you, you know, so you, you teach and you, you build. I mean, it, it fits. Black, you, and you got the, the the scraggly beard going. Yeah, man, you know. COVID I, beard, I don't know. Was it yeah, yeah, it was, it was, I shaved it a couple of months ago because the wife was like, nah, you got to cut that off. And I was like, all right. And then I said, leave it back on. Leave it back on. Yeah. All right, well, People listen. look at you different with a weird beard. They don't really approach you. Nah, nah. They're kind of unapproachable. They just look at you like, mm. Yeah. You don't look right. So yeah. Slide to the left. Slide to the left. They don't yeah. even they don't rock with you. Mm. That's kind of... Like <laughs> I guess that's why I'm so approachable because I keep it. Yeah, nice, you keep clean. I keep it clean. Yeah, I do this on purpose, man. <laughs> I do this on purpose. I don't want to talk to nobody. <laughs> I purposely just like, look, you know, I wear these glasses. People think you're safe, but when you got the shoveled hair and the beard, they'd be like, mm, you're missing a couple of, you know, a couple of bolts up there. So yeah. All right. Man, I appreciate you having me on the show, man. Nah, man. We, we you know, we, when I started this podcast, you're always one of the people. We, we first of all. We talked about, we talk a lot. Yes, we do. And uh, so we were like, this shit should be on wax. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say anything anything behind the scene, no hidden secrets, nothing. But you know, I'm looking at you. You know what I am on this show. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Our <laughs> conversations are live. All right. Rob. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Um, so listen, here's what we're going to uh, do. We, I want to start off talking about this movie. Judas and the Black Messiah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to rotate it and I'm going to let you uh, shoot it off first and you just give me your thoughts. All right? All right. All right. Go ahead. Tell me what your thoughts. All right. So Judas and the Black Messiah. So when when did we first see the preview for this movie? Like in the height of the pandemic back in September, October? Maybe even earlier than that? I don't even know. No, I think it was earlier than that. I want to say maybe summertime. Yeah, yeah, I, it may have been. So I've been. So the anticipation for this movie movie has been height extra heightened. Yeah. You know, just like oh, I can't wait. So you know, growing up, I've uh, heard of the story of Fred Hampton and yeah. and the unfortunate you know assassination of Fred Hampton. Um, but what he meant. For the culture as well. So knowing that, I was very highly anticipating this movie, and and um, even like reminded myself with a couple of documentaries I found on YouTube, and, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I forgot he did that and everything. So Friday comes, and I watch the movie, and I have to say, this isn't the most popular opinion, but I was underwhelmed. Yeah. I was a little underwhelmed. Um, and I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what was it about it. And and it's not, first of all, it's not a bad movie. I don't want people to think, oh, because I don't think it's the greatest movie or I thought it was great that I thought it was bad. No, there, there's a lot of in-between there. Yeah. And that's kind of where I am. We could break that down because I have, I'm I'm where you're at. But go, keep going. Keep rocking. Yeah, yeah. So, so. Over the course of this pod, you, you'll hear a little more about where I'm at and why I feel that way. Yeah. But, I mean, it was good. It was good. It was educational for those that didn't know much about um, his story. Uh, but at the same time, I was underwhelmed. Okay. 
Ken. Same as Rob. Um, first of all, I waited to pay for HBO Max. For this movie. <laughs> Y'all know I don't like spending yeah, money. I know. I know. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, you know what? Ken is in the is opposite of me. I'm... I've never missed an opportunity to spend bread. <laughs> and Ken always misses an opportunity to always. spend Always. I'm like, nah, I'm good. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to support. Um, yeah, I could have probably watched it free somewhere else. But I was like, you know what? Let me support. Right. I want this movie to get that pub. I wanted to I wanted to blow. I want everybody to understand the story of Fred Hampton. And then so I watched it on Saturday. Yeah. And just like you, Rob, I felt... Maybe I overhyped myself for this movie. Yeah. And maybe yeah. the trailer, the trailer was amazing. You were like, okay. And yeah. then, <sighs> I don't know, man. And just like you, maybe it's unpopular. Maybe I'm supposed to support. I did support it because I watched it. I paid for it. But I'm not going to go. I'm, I don't have to like every black movie, I guess. And I'm not saying I didn't like this one. I'm saying. Something was missing, and I don't know what it was. I have an idea why it's missing, but yeah. And so I watched the whole thing. And here's the thing: I watched it, and luckily I was able to. I watched it by myself. Yeah. No interruptions. I even put the subtitle on, so I didn't miss anything. Yeah. And I was able to, like, in the movie theater, it would have been too big, and you would have missed some things. Yeah. And at home, I was able to rewind, get a better understanding or something. So I've like I critiqued the movie. Yeah. In the, because, like you said, I already knew Fred Hampton. Majority of us should know the story. Right. A lot of us don't. A lot of us don't. Right. So I think for people that know the story and that understand what society is really about and how they treat us, um, I just felt like something was missing. And it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put it Shaka, Shaka King. Yeah, direct the direction was good. I like. I think the direction was good. The way he directed the movie, um, but like I said, man, I just felt like something was missing. I just and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Okay. And, and real quick before you go, Cam. Okay. Um, I want I want to throw a disclaimer out there, yeah. but I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone that has not watched this movie. Do not take our reviews yeah, and then don't yeah. don't oh, watch the movie. Right. They need to watch form your own review. Right, right. Yeah, I I always encourage because Ken made a great point. It's still an important movie to watch and support. First and foremost, right. First and foremost, this movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Support it. Um, HBO Max. Go to your local theater if you feel safe enough to go to your local theater. Support the movie because it needs to You can go to a movie theater. Let's just be, keep it real, but I'm not going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You know, if you go into Target, you can go to a movie theater. Right? And side note, yeah. Florida, is, yeah. Florida yeah. is wide open. Florida, <laughs> Florida is busted, busted open challenge open. Yeah. We open out here, so everybody looking at us crazy. Yeah. If, the Super, if the Super Bowl didn't show you that Florida was open, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going to tell you that, man. Exactly. So no excuses. Yeah. No excuses. So so I, I, I hate it when people say, oh, I heard a review or I read a review on Facebook. So I decided not to see it. Like, no, that's just being closed minded. Don't don't be a follower. Yeah. Hey, still, this movie still needs to be supported because this movie is still for the culture. 
So just disclaimer, regardless of what we say of our opinion, go form your own opinion. And just like just, just like what you just said, Rob, um, I've noticed some um, varying views on the movie from the different races. Yeah. Um, we'll get into that. Yeah. I've noticed, and just like us, maybe we are a little harsher. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna rock with it. I can, I can tell. I can. All right, I'm, you guys ready for my? Yeah, pick? go ahead. Man. All right, so <laughs> I, I wanted to give, give y'all some road first before yeah. I, I I leaned in. Yeah, go ahead, man. So let me just let me let me um, preface this by saying, in 1992, my mother took me to go see a movie, and I was too young. My mom, I, I've talked about this. My parents love taking me to movies all the time. <laughs> They, I mean, they didn't believe in babysitters. They believed in let me just sit and watch movies. That's but a, that's a Caribbean thing. That's a Caribbean thing. My for parents real. did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I just sat. In, so it was just another movie. But my mother really wanted me to see this movie. Um, and we sat there. And I remember it was a matinee, and uh, the theater was halfway full. And the movie literally kind of just changed the way I looked at life. It was the Malcolm X movie. Uh, that movie shifted some shit in my life, man. Because I was like, who is this man? What is this man? You know, like, what? what is he? Like, I just, I was blown away. It was, the movie was so crazy to me. That to the point I walked out like, yo, am I Muslim? <laughs> like, should I be? Should I be Muslim? <laughs> like, 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 I thought about like, should I consider this thing? This is. I mean, that's how impactful the movie was. It it fucked my brain up. Yeah, it fucked my brain up. Like I, I was blown away, and it still to me is considered the, not period one of the top ten films of all time. Not black movies. I'm talking about films. No. It might even be top five, dead or alive. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I can see that. Like I mean, it's just to me, it's just phenomenal. And for the the movie was so incredible. The movie was so incredible that critics didn't know what the fuck to do with it. They couldn't even they couldn't even rate the movie properly, yeah. and it didn't, it didn't receive an Oscar. Yes, it didn't even receive it didn't receive nothing. That's because that's it fucked up people's minds about what Malcolm X was. Yeah, it was an opus, magnum opus of Spike Lee. It's still considered Spike Lee's. That's the reason why yeah. he won an Oscar two years ago because people look back watching that film, they're like, "We should have given that for, for that one." In fact, that's why Denzel won it for Training Day because they look back and they're like, "We should have given him an Oscar for Malcolm X." That movie was they should have gave him for Glory for that one tear. Yeah, <laughs> they gave him they gave him Glory. They gave him oh, this, okay. right, they gave him Glory. But I'm saying that is where the movie is was such an incredible, indelible piece of art that it, to the fact where it's actually listed under the Library of Congress as a modern piece of art. Oh, that I didn't know. Yes. That's how incredible that movie is. Three and a half hours of just... But it doesn't just, seem that long. It doesn't seem... Because I, I guarantee you watch it today. You can watch it from Beginning to opening, opening minute to the end. I'm going to get to why I'm comparing these movies. Because... Malcolm X in that movie, they humanized him to such a point. You saw the characterization of a man. They didn't just they didn't lionize him, they humanized him, and they showed him in his entire being, even to the point to where it still wasn't enough. Because I remember I still wanted to read 
the autobiography of Malcolm X, and I still did yeah. because the movie it it had such an effect that I was like, I wanted to learn more about this person. Who is this man? You know. Yeah. So I say all that to say that I went into again pre pre pandemic. <laughs> I saw the previews <laughs> of this movie of. Judas and the Black Messiah, and I was like, "Oh shit!" This I think is they like, ran into the Super Bowl ad. I remember it was earlier. It was summer. early. It was like we were like, oh, because, yeah. because it was supposed to come out in July. July, and we were like, "Yo, yeah. we were like, yo, this is gonna be a gonna be hot summer. This is gonna be a hot <laughs> summer, boy. This is, <laughs> shit about to be wild, yo. Wild these streets. Yeah, this movie. I started getting those those nineteen ninety two Malcolm X. Like, oh, it's about to be a it's about to be a culturally defining movie. Yeah, and. I'm hyped about you, you and I talked about, about it. it. We were like, yo, what the fuck was that? Like that I didn't know they were making this shit. That's the thing. Like yeah. they hit you with over the head and you just like nobody said anything about this movie being made. Yeah. Then, Cause we know we watch movies. I watch trailers. I yeah. do all this. I'm just like, uh, okay. Right. <laughs> and so so yeah. I was like, I went in there just like you, Rob. I said, maybe I built it up to a place. But I'm yeah. gonna say this, I'm gonna say, man, like, I think I'm gonna bifurcate it. It's a good movie to watch, but it's not a culturally defining movie. And I would even go so far as so it's like on a of rating it on a term of movies, term of movies, not just on a biopic scale, because it's not a biopic. It's a movie on a term of a, a movie scale. I would give it eight or nine out of ten at a, at a movie scale, at a movie scale. Yeah. On a culturally defining scale. I would give it about a three. You know, mm. and then. So I'm going to say this. I don't need a movie to humanize my oppressor or my oppressor's handmaiden. I don't need a movie like that. In the life of Judas, is the life of Judas more fascinating than life of Jesus? Because that's, it shouldn't be, because that's what the movie's telling me. It humanized Bill O'Neill and it lionized Fred Hampton. When you do this, you tell real people, you create almost this unattainable, mythic status of our greatest icons like now on the surface that might seem fine but what it does it creates a real barrier of what it takes to become a true leader yeah that's the reason why it was so hard to galvanize support under black leadership in the last 50 years because the last 50 years we've lionized icons our past our past icons have been stripped away of their human characterizations into these unattainable unattainable figures yeah and I wanted what I wanted a movie that was going to make people uncomfortable. I wanted a movie that was going to challenge its viewers and make us question things. I wanted a movie that was going to shift the culture and push the conversation. I didn't get that movie. I got a COINTEL bioptic that didn't really even break down what the hell COINTEL Pro was. was. Yeah. So even in that sense, it was plastic representation. Was it a good movie? Sure. Yeah. Was it cinematically entertaining? Of course. Was it shot beautifully? Yes. Yeah. But was it culturally shifting? Absolutely not. And and like you said, I think the humanizing of of Judas, mm-hmm. um, because I felt like it was his story. It was, because it was taken from his point of view. And, I, and we talked yeah. about that before. And I, yeah. and I know we don't have enough details on maybe Hampton's side, because all you have is his wife and the, the people that was there with him at the time. Right. And... I just felt like there was enough. There was enough to go about who Fred Hampton was. Yeah, yeah. They, they could have. There was enough of his story because Fred Hampton is a is an incredible figure, and then people like I want to give people a background of like 
the Black Panther Party because this movie even failed in that. And I, 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 will, I will say this. I will say that where the movie missed the mark, again, we're talking about making people uncomfortable, where they missed the mark is going into the entire dichotomy of the Black Panther Party. And I'm not saying, oh, they touched on it. They went into the, no, but they didn't get into the psychology of the Black Panther Party. Like the, it, the lead up of, the, of Fred Hampton, of 1966, the Fred, the um, Huey P. Newton and uh, uh, um, Bobby Seale yeah. created the Black Panther Party in Oakland, California, right? It was in, it was in response to a community engagement program to protect the community, yeah. to empower the community, right? It was a, it was a a program. They created programs of uh, of healthcare. Oh, and free education. Look over the 10-point plan. They didn't even talk about the 10-point plan. They hit it, but they didn't really say anything about it. it they didn't like, even talk about the 10-point plan of the Black Panther Party. Like bring it up. Like, there was a lot of hinting, just a lot of hinting and, right. and brushing and kind of breezing through. Oh, yeah, yeah, we feel, we feed kids. Oh, yeah, 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 we give money to uh, uh, families that need it in the community. We oh, yeah, you know, it was a lot of just kind of, hey, hey, real, real breeze, quick breeze through. All right, let's get back to this story about Judas. Right. And I, and I felt like they, maybe they felt like we knew about the Black Panther Party and not, maybe they felt like we didn't have to touch on that because everybody should know. But everybody don't know. Everybody don't know. Everybody People don't know. No, <laughs> they don't know about the black. They know what they know. Certain images, but they don't yeah. know the the entire. And this was a an opportunity to hit on that. They hit on that. Let me tell you, they, they, like you notice in the movie, they talked about comrades, and he talked about they t- talked about different social. They talked about uh, um the, the way they conducted themselves. Why did they call themselves minister? Why was the Black Panther Party conducting itself like a communist quote unquote yeah. organization? They don't, they don't even talk about that. And this is where I'm talking about breaking and, and making people uncomfortable. I felt like this movie could have really had a shifting, changing, uncomfortable conversation about socialism and capitalism. And capitalism. And all, yeah, yeah. It could have yeah. really had that conversation to where people might have walked out but like, fuck, like, am I... Am yeah. I a socialist? Yeah, like, what the fuck is socialism? Yeah, it's capitalist. Cap- being a capitalist is maybe kind of trash. Right, like, like they don't even... <laughs> like, it was... I wanted something like that. And I'm not saying... I'm not advocating for pro... But the fact of the matter is 90% of the country is ignorant. I would say... I'm being, I'm being a little crazy with it. Maybe 60% of the country is ignorant to what socialism, socialism is. is. Because I always tell people, socialism... You live socialism every fucking day of your life. If... Police are coming to your house, that's socialism. If you get to walk in the parks, that's socialism. You ride on the roads, that's socialism. If fire department's putting out fire in your house, that's socialism. Every single thing in your world is, in, is comparably to the, to the singular focus of how they want to you know, characterize socialism is socialism. They feel like socialism is taking away from the democracy. And they don't understand those are two different things. Right, but here's the, here's the thing, and 1,000%. And so the problem you have here when you talk about people and their idea of socialism is that it's an, it's really the propaganda I, outset of the capitalistic, you know, platform of our government because that rose after the uh, uh, um, World War II. Yeah. They don't even understand that concept. Like, why did communism become such as evil red terror yeah, yeah 
You know what I mean? So they don't understand, like, they have these anachristic ideas regarding socialism, regarding, you know, versus capitalism. And I feel like that could have been a conversation in of itself. Is it because... Do you think budget was the reason for the Fuck movie? no. Okay, I'm just asking. No, no. I'm just asking. It was a clear, it was a clear direction it was a clear that direction. you could okay. tell that the directors took, that they... There was, there, they... They executed whatever vision I feel like they had. There, there may, of course, there's probably some scenes that were on the cutting room floor, but not to the point where it changed the the vision and what what we're talking about here of the direction of the movie. So we feel like that the, the the direction of the movie was in a sense to show William. It was it's to humanize William. Okay. It it was given through the point of view of Bill O'Neill, not through Anybody not through. Else does. Yeah, not through Fred Hampton. And to that point where that's why he got top billing. Judas and the black and the black side. Like he's this yeah. the the person that should have been the focus of the movie got got second, second billing. To the point where Fred Hampton was not even moved for like 15 20 minutes in the movie cuz he was in prison. He was in prison. And they were kept going back to like I I got more perspective on who William O'Neill was, Bill O'Neill than was um Hampton. than Hampton. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, it's like, that's a shame because, again, we don't talk up like, like, again, I want to I want to lay the framework of like who the Black Panther part was like they were created again, 1966. By the time Fred Hampton starts to take a role in the party. Um, Huey P. Newton is in prison for a trumped up bullshit murder charge. Always. Right. Um, uh, 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 Bobby Seale. Is currently, and I'm the ironic part about it. Bobby Seale is in an Illinois federal courtroom, fighting for his life because a lawyer, because the judge refused to allow him to have a lawyer. That's why you know, and it briefly mentioned the movie that he's representing himself yeah. because the ju- the judge did not want him to have a lawyer. lawyer. Eldridge Cleaver, who was considered the minister of information at the time, at that point he had to flee the country. In 1968, because of a murder from um, Bobby Hutton, who was once who was a young, 17 at the time, he was also a Black Panther. They got in a shootout with uh, San Francisco police. Bobby Hutton came out um, with his shirt off, hands up, and they still shot him. Right, the yeah. San Francisco PD. They wanted Eldridge Cleaver to turn himself over. He escaped. He fled to Algeria. Algeria. Right, and so at this point, the Black Panther Party is like. Void of real le- now they have they have a leader in um, David Hollier but uh, uh, at the same time they're they're void and here's where I want to say I want to say something this is where in that sense um, Fred Hampton he actually introduces himself because in that same in that environment in that environment Fred Hampton goes and he's like. Uh, uh, um, What's the word I'm looking for? He kind of introduces himself to the world. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And that's where you first hear Fred Hampton give his speech. That's where you hear first hear, hear Fred Hampton create. And I'm going to actually, let me see if I can cue this up. Oh, hold on. The deputy chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton. I just want to tell you that the chairman of the Black Panther Party 
going to be on gags and they're going to have to take those chains off. And... Bobby Field is going through all types of physical and mental torture. But that's all right, because we said even before this happened, and we're going to say it after this, and after I'm locked up, and after everybody's locked up, that you can jail revolutionaries, but you can't jail a revolution. Right. You might want to liberate like every sleeve out the country, but you can't run liberation out the country. You might murder a freedom fighter like Bobby Hutton, but you can't murder freedom fighting. Whatever. So... That was outside of the Illinois federal courthouse. It was the first time. It was the first time people were like nationally were introduced to who is this 20 year old who is the deputy chairman. Like, why did they call him? First of all, you notice they call him the chairman. Yeah. But the yeah. Reason they, he was a deputy, quote unquote, he was the deputy chairman, but they called him the chairman because he was the almost like the leader now because he had there was no everybody else was gone. Yeah. Right. Else to, to cover. He so, was they, so he was there. And who was this kid? Because at 16 years old, he joined the NAACP, which is important. You know why this is important, though? Yeah. Because at 16, he joined the NAACP. At 17, he was leading the, uh, the youth organization of the NAACP. He actually created a network among churches in black Chicago churches and Illinois churches that helped him, that helped him um, create a, like, he was, it helped him create a, uh, uh, um, a relationship. So by the time he joins the Black Panther Party at 18, he already has all this. He has all these connections. So that's why Fred Hammond. And on top of that, when he was a student, he was part of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Right. The SNCC. Mm-hmm. So that also, and for those that don't know, the SNCC main function was, um, you know, students committing to the civil rights movement and, and, and bringing people together and, and bonding. And so it really kind of gave you a sense of one, his ability to unite and, and bring, and bring individuals together. And so I would, I would have liked to see more of his earlier years, and those high school years. And I, right. I really, really like to see that in the beginning. Right. Right, right. I think that's what was missing. I think we came into the movie with him already being, I guess who he was or maybe becoming the next great leader, you know, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. but we didn't see the buildup of him getting there. Right. We spent so much time and what I want to get to on your last point, um, real quick. No, rock. This movie reminds me of like, we're glorifying, we're glorifying the snitch. Like I listen to a lot of rap music. I listen to a lot of music. You know, am I calling William O'Neill six nine? Maybe. You know, <laughs> just a little, little bit, a little bit. You know what I'm saying? It, the, the profile hit. Maybe. It's, yeah, I ain't gonna say my man's whole name, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, like when 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 that guy was going through his thing, everybody was like, "Yeah, I would do the same thing." Ah, blah 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 blah. I know it's it's cover me first, and this movie makes me feel like we're glorifying the snitch. We are glorifying the snitch. Because it gave yeah. him, it gave him the story. You know, it's like it's wild. It like literally gave him the story. And even though in the last scene, to where you know William Neal is, and I have that, I can I can cue that up. But even in that in that scene where they they give him the last conversation, and then they talk about how he died. But one of the things I thought was crazy about it 
like they mentioned the Emmett Till thing, but the fact that he lived across the street, I'm talking about Fred Hampton, yeah. he lived across the street from Emmett Till. His mom babysitted his mom babysitted. Mama babysitted. He was seven years old. Seven years old when that happened. Imagine something that traumatizing happening, and you're seven. My daughter is seven. Imagine, I can imagine living, or like the kid across the street getting brutally murdered. And my daughter, that, that would have an indelible effect. So you think at seven years old, it shifted things in his life. Yeah. Right? At seven, and at 16, he joins the, he joins the NAACP. At 18, it, 17, he's leading, the organi- leading a chapter organization. At 18, he joins the Black Panther Party. At 19, he becomes deputy chairman. At 20, he's now giving speeches in front of a courthouse, and they're calling him the chairman. I think the movie should have been more Malcolm X's from the beginning yes. to now yeah. instead of William O'Neill's story. This is what it is. Yeah. This, this and and I think I think that you know it reminds you of in that era how quickly those kids because that's what they were They're they kids. were 21, 20, 21, yeah. 22 years old they were kids they were seventeen eighteen how, nineteen twenty yeah to make how quickly they had to grow up they had to grow up so fast in that era yeah. like. Compared to nowadays, we we still give we still give twenty one year olds passes for doing dumb shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> we always we say, still oh, do. He's young. He's twenty. He'll figure yeah. it out. And then you know, yeah. so maybe at some point we got to stop doing that. We got to stop doing that because at right. ni- at nineteen twenty, we had people creating organizations that changed the entire landscape of America. Like Robert, we're part of an organization, uh, fraternity, and these people cha- created an organization. In 1906, and they were 18, 19 years old. Yep. You know, yep. and so like that's the thing where we're at. Like it's like it's. I wanted I wanted a film like your son. Your son is right now. No, wait, he's 11. No, he's nine. Nine. Uh, uh, how old? How old is your son, Rob? Uh, ten. Ryan. Okay, ten. Ryan's ten. Okay, that's what I picked. Okay, so you have a ten and nine year old. I wanted a film to where. It has such like the way Malcolm X had an effect on me. I wanted to film for that this generation's culture. Like it shifted things in their brain. Yeah, this ain't it. And this ain't it. This ain't it. You know, like to the point when with it they get to seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old, there's like thinking like, yo, I gotta be like, I gotta change the way I'm operating. Like I gotta shift the way I'm viewing life. And this was that opportunity. This is the conversation. And this is that that moment. And my best friend uh, Jamie. Um, Coleman, she says, oh, well, you know, she, she, she feels the same way I feel in certain ways with the film. We say, well, Kamara, maybe the opportunity will come in a later film. We don't get much opportunities when it comes to archive icons. We don't get. This might be the one only film that we get about. A real, like, big budget film. Big budget film on Fred Hampton. Or maybe anybody else in the next, maybe next 10 years. Listen, Muhammad Ali, there's been scores of films, biographies about Muhammad Ali, Right. When Will Smith did what Muhammad Ali movie, did that shift the culture? Not really. No, it didn't. It's a it good was, movie. Nobody, it was entertaining. It was entertaining, but no, it ain't. Nobody was talking about the movie five years later. Yeah. Nobody was like, yeah. yo, like you know what I mean? It's just, it was. It felt like the same empty calorie movie that I was watching because I remember going in to watch Muhammad Ali. I thought it was going to be in that Malcolm X type movie, and it didn't shift the culture. Of Malcolm, it didn't do anything. 
it was just a nice movie to watch. Yeah. I, I'll watch it to this day. I mean, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. But it, it didn't shift nothing. You know? Yeah, you're like, all right. It was it was a good movie, but it didn't shift nothing. I, I believe... Uh, um, go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Because I, I want to kind of shift yeah, a little bit. I believe in five to ten years, you're not going to really be talking about this movie. Not the way it should be. Not the way it should be. Yeah. 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 Um, to piggyback on the the age of these, you know, men and women, black men and women at that in well, everybody in the revolution that was involved. Um, there was a scene kinda in the middle of the film where Deborah Johnson, the wife, um, later known as Akua Najeri, mm-hmm. uh, she Fred has just come back from jail and it's during his first speech after coming back from jail. And then later on, she says, I don't know if I'm ready to die for this. Right. So, and it it was interesting because my wife at the time asked me um, when we were watching it, she was like, do you think that you could be a revolutionary? Like, do you think you could see yourself dying for the cause? And I was like, man, that's a really good question. I got some of this. Go ahead, keep going. That's a a great question. And and, and, in us talking about the age, so then I had to try to put myself into 21-year-old Rob. Like, with 21-year-old, you know, when we're younger, we're a little more wild and and impenetrable. And, you know, we feel like, hey, you know, I I can take on the world. So I I wanted to ask you guys, like, could, could you be... Before you, a revolutionary. Before I, before I, okay, okay, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let Cam play the drop. But I got two things on that, on the the revolutionary age thing, real quick. But go ahead. All right. In this country, a black man only have like five years we can exhibit maximum strength. And that's right now, while you a teenager, while you still strong, while you still want to lift weights, while you still want to shoot back. Because once you turn 30, it's like they take the heart and soul out of a man, out of a black man in this country. And you don't want to fight no more. And if you don't believe me, you can look around. You don't see no loudmouth 30-year-old motherfuckers. Yo. First of all. We didn't, we didn't plan that shit. First of all. We didn't plan that shit. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. Was the, what wow. Brian said. Rob, we did not. Did, did we Did we plan this shit, Rob? I had no idea you were going to play, play that clip. I had no idea. When you talked about the age, when your wife asked you that question, right? And excuse my heightness. But no, when you. Yeah, no, right. Kim was hype. He was like, yo, me, we had a moment. Kim was like, I did not know you were going to play that shit. Yeah, because Pac would do that to you. Um. <laughs> And he's right. Yeah. At you, your maximum age is between eighteen to twenty-five. Yeah. As a young black man. Yeah. To be loud, to be aggressive, to be to get your point across. Because what tends to happen is, after twenty-five, you know, and the way the system tells you, you got to go to college. Mm -hmm. You got to get a degree. Mm -hmm. You got to go work. You got to go provide for your family if you have a family. Right. You know, and. Once once you have that first kid, you know, it's self-preservation, man. It's wild to say it that way, but it's self-preservation. After you had that first kid, you're like, yeah. I got to be around. Yeah, I got to take care of this kid. I got to take care of my family. I got to, I gotta, you know, a real man, you know, don't, whatever a real man is. Don't t- fuck around and have a kid and get married. <laughs> and then they right. tell you, hey, man, you know, you got to you gotta provide. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you want to be out here in these streets doing your thing, but you got these mouths you got to feed. We got these bills we got to pay. Yeah. 
And once that starts to hit you, once the once like life hits you, yeah, you know, you tend to calm down just a little bit because you know what? And as a man, if you have a daughter, <laughs> that's even worse because you're like, yo, I don't want her. Me not being you, come on. We seen what happens when dads in around sometimes. You know, I don't want to hit the stereotypical um, <laughs> idea when fathers aren't around with for their young for their young daughters. But we see what tends to happen sometimes. And when you have a daughter, which I, my first kid was a girl, I was like, whoa, yeah, I gotta I gotta provide. I gotta make sure she has all the things she needs. So your your fire doesn't really go away. It just goes in a different direction because you got a family. And like Pac said, after thirty. Man, listen, th- your knees start to hurt a little bit. <laughs> the knees hurt from the burden of life. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you know, yeah. You wake up out the bed, that back hurt a little bit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that fire it goes, in, it dissipates. It dissipates because you gotta, you gotta put that fire for your family. Yeah. And as much as the revolution is important, as much as as the you know getting out there in these streets are important, you know, you like, man, if I go out here and I die, yeah, it's cool. You know, I become a martyr, quote unquote, whatever. But what about my kids and my wife? Right. You know, and like and like Pac said, eighteen twenty five is when you got it. After that, you got to figure something else out. You know what I'm saying? And they beat that out of you. They do. Society. It society beats, beats it, it out. Of you. And society beats you, beats it out of you because it's hard to be a revolutionary and a provider. Yeah. Because you think the, the thing about that is, and why the Black Panther story is so. It's interesting is that at the time when the Black Panther Party was created, a lot of them were living in abject poverty. Like it would be 15, 10 to 15 people living in a three bedroom apartment and they would call them quote unquote Panther pads. Right. And to the reason why there are two reasons. Number one, um, there were two. Number one, they had to leave their families. Like there are people who had kids and wives. They had to leave their families because uh, cops were harassing their families. So they were like, the best way to stay in the revolution, giving my life to the revolution, was that I could not even have any relationship with my family. I had to I had to separate myself. So they created a family unit within the revolution because that's all they had. So the, you saw, when you saw scenes of them in the movie all sleeping in the same apartment, that's what it really was. Like, they had to live the quote-unquote panther pads. Number two, it was quote-unquote a anti-capitalistic organization. They only made money by selling the piece of paper called the Panther News mm-hmm. um, for uh, 25 cents a copy. That's how they funded the organization. And that went internationally. And so, you know, it was t- it's that s- sacrifice that you have to make as a human being in order to be part of revolution. And so... You cannot have a revolution without sacrifice. Right. right. That's it. Like, you right. Need, you need a leader, right? And I, you know, I have all these weird talks, but you need, no, a, you, need a, you need a leader that's as crazy as it sounds. That's willing to die. No, for the cause. That's willing to give up everything for the cause. And I, the leader ain't in it for money. He's not in it for fame. She, he, he or, she. or she, excuse yeah. me, he or she, uh, that person is all about moving the culture forward. That's moving society forward. That's moving, that's trying to make changes. And, you know, to make change, 
Sometimes you can't be at a nine to five, man. You can't change is a twenty four hour job. Change uh, takes commitment. It takes commitment, and you know, with anything, if that commitment is not, if you're not seeing the results of that commitment, sometimes you know, it it it, it wears on you, and you're like, hey, what am I really doing it for? But you, and, and go ahead. Yeah, and think about the parents in the families of these revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. The scene with the with the mother yep. of the brother that passed. His name fails me right now, but the uh, young brother that passed when Fred went to her home to console her. Yeah. Um, think about, so like Kamara said, you've got, you know, them living 10 people in a, in a house. What about all the mom, moms and dads of these? of these young black Panther um, participants Mm -hmm. like day in, day out. They don't know if they're going to get that call. Like that, that's heavy. That is really heavy to deal with. And, and to just, it's just so hard to put myself in that time and to say, Oh yeah, I would do this. Oh yeah. I would do that. And unfortunately what, what happens, I think, is you get individuals like Bill O'Neill. Well, you know, it, it, it's, and we can get, we can pivot back into that, but I just want to, on this point, um, what's remarkable is that a, a lot of times, especially during the throes of the Black Panther organization, people joined with the idea that they were willing to die. For the, yeah. Because once it got into this thing, it got into this idea of the Black Panther Party became the most, and I, we get into this, uh, they were considered public enemy number one. Edgar, Edgar Hoover said they are the, I, and I'm using, using my words here very specifically here, they are a threat to the American democracy. At the, he said in 1968, you know what's happening in 1968? He said they are the greatest threat to American democracy. What's happening in 1968? America is legit in a fucking war with Vietnam. And he says an organization, a domestic organization, is the highest threat to Amer- the, the American ideal. So he created COINTELPRO, and we can get into just a smidgen of what that is, but he created COINTELPRO to destroy a, the black organization and to 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 essentially destroy black people, like one of the th- the memos in that COINTELPRO, and I know they again they touched on it. First of all, COINTELPRO was a counterintelligence program, and it was aimed directly at black nationalist hate groups, um, as Edgar Hoover saw them. In reality, it was designed to eliminate equality, because and, and I'll tell you why that was important. But the purpose is to was to expose, disrupt misdirect or neutralize an organization and the neutralization could have been either converting someone into an FBI informant as they did with Bill O'Neill or putting someone in jail and, or just literally killing them. killing them. And this was actually, this was actually a weekly obsession to the point he said who Huber sent out memos every week asking departments across the country. What are we doing about, Black led organizations. Yeah. 245 of the 290 COINTELPRO actions involved the Black Panther Party. 
that's what that's how highly specific the COINTELPRO was designed for. And why I say it was designed to eliminate equality, because what we, you realize, it wasn't the Black Panther Party was a black nationalist organization. Those were popping up all across the country. Yeah. What happened was what made them what made them scary was that they propped it up the idea of economic equality. Mm-hmm. That's what made it, made it fascinating, and that's what made it dangerous. It propped up the idea of economic equality. It wasn't the Black Panther Party wasn't a organization that you had to join because you were part of a black church, right? And it was a, a civil rights organization because it was centered around a black church. It wasn't an organization because you had to become a Muslim. It was an organization that believed in pride and equality and fairness. That was the idea behind the uh, behind the Black Panther Party. In in Fred Hampton's ability to bring in the young lord and um, the young um, patriot. And other groups that they didn't even mention in the movie. Um, there was the American Indian Movement is another group that he brought in that they didn't even touch on. Right. Um, it was, and, and, and I think let I'll, I'll give some props here to the movie. One thing, albeit brief, albeit very brief, right? They did show the impact that Fred had on people. The way that he, the way that he was able to give people the bigger picture. Yeah. Right. I I think that's very important about his legacy is where, you know, majority of us just see what's in front of us. Fred had this ability for you, for him to say, Hey, wait a minute, but let's look at the bigger picture here. That scene with the American Patriots was crucial. Right. And showing he could walk into a group that had a Confederate flag (laughs) hanging above them. Right. And, his words in his speech was able to make them even reevaluate what they were their thought process, right, and and I thought that was very crucial. Yeah, I thought that was very crucial in the movie. I give, I give I'll be brief. I give him props for for showing that. Let me go ahead, Ken. I'm gonna no, go ahead and say he was like you said. It showed that he was able. He showed them that we're all in the same fight economically. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're all being treated unfairly by the same people. Right. Okay. Uh, be it I'm black, you're white, you're Hispanic, you're Native American, you're this, you're that. But we're all still poor in this circle. Yeah. And they're keeping us poor. And they're keeping it, and they're making it focus on fighting amongst ourselves yeah. than fighting what is this this idea of, you know, democracy. Hold on. Let's see what I have to write scene here. All right. Fred Hampton here in Chicago was the main voice for racial unity. We worked with organizations such as. So, like. That was one scene, and I want to play something else here that was important. You said white power to white people. White power to white people. 
Brown power to brown people. Brown power to brown Yellow power to yellow people. Yellow power to yellow people. Black power to black people. We say Panther Power to Vanguard Party. A lot of... Those two things, it shows you that this is where it made him so dangerous. And you talk about the riots of the yeah. Black Messiah. Because yeah. what they realized in the civil rights movement, it was a Southern-based movement that based that circled around civil rights, and especially in the Southern portion. What made MLK dangerous when they killed him is when he took his his uh, civil rights platform and took it out of the wow. South and started focusing on economic change. And that's what made him dangerous, right? Messing with the money. Messing with the money. <laughs> and so when Black Panther Party started in 1966, they weren't getting no funk. It wasn't until actually 1967 when they went up to the Capitol in Sacramento, California and brought guns under Capitol. And then the Sacramento or California rather changed the laws at that point from outlawing guns on public property. They wouldn't they didn't have a problem before, but then when the Black Panther Party showed up, showed up with, the with the guns of the U.S. Capitol, with Ronald Reagan standing 30 feet away, it, they were like, oh, we can't have this. We can't have uh, black people with guns, especially not on no public property. Now that's considered dangerous. But really when it started getting into the view of Edgar Hoover was when they started showing his messaging was going, or not his, but the Black Panther Party's messaging was crossing racial lines. There's a there's a great documentary that said that once you started, they were like, oh, okay, we didn't care about the Black Panther Party calling us pigs. We didn't care about that. He said, well, once it started getting into white college campuses oh. and you started seeing white young liberals joining the Black Panther Party or talking about free Huey Newton or, you know, fuck pigs or whatever like that, it was like, oh, we got a problem. Like yep. they're able to change them. Yeah. Okay. Now yeah. we need to figure out what we what they really doing. Right. That's when it became a problem for the Black Panther Party, and that's when they became the high they became hypersensitive to their messaging. And that is something that I felt like it is missed. They touched on it. They didn't but they didn't explain the the insidious nature yeah. of the of COINTELPRO. It is they you didn't you didn't get a sense of the impact that you just described there. You didn't you didn't get a sense of, you know, yeah, they showed them on the steps uh of a of a police station and they had a rally, but the national attention that this was getting. It wasn't just the movie felt like everything that was happening was just in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and nowhere else. Everything and, brief. They touched in everything. They touched brief. This, this, everything. Yeah, everything else was, yeah. Made the movie not really connecting with me. Like everything was like brief, brief, brief. Like yeah, he didn't go into the the young patriots place and be like, hey, join my club. And they was like, cool, right? There had to be right. some discussion. There had to be some arguing. There yeah. had to be like there wasn't enough. Um story in that when it went to the when when the i forgot the name of the um the latino the the hispanic group that were buried the young um i, I forgot young lord yeah young, 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 so, young, lord. Lord. young so, lords yeah so they just walked up to her funeral and it was like okay now we're gonna join your get we're gonna join your group your movement join, yeah join the movement like i felt like they should have showed that conversation right it's it's and the thing about it was again you know, the crowns, they talked, they had a, a scene with the crowns. Like, I thought that scene should have been a little bit more drawn. It was just like, he, he shows up, he gives a beat, and they kind of like, 
and then he walks out, right? Yeah. But it's like Fred Hampton's thought process and the Black Panther's entire thought process was coalescing movements underneath the the empowerment flag. And it was, you know, this is why street gangs wanted to get behind um, the, the, the Black Panther Party. Like, what... I thought was the most important aspect of Black Panther Party was that they weren't going after people because of you, you joined the church, or they weren't going after people because of religion. They were going after everyday, regular working class people. Regular people, right? And right. that's where it made them so dangerous because they were everybody can join. And everybody and anybody. Everybody and anybody can join the Black Panther Party. As long as you're understanding what we're trying to do here, right? As long as you understand that this is the movement. Trying to get us economically free, trying to get us, you know, you know, understanding that look, this is what we're about to do, and this is it. So you can come and join and understand this is what we what we're doing. Right. You know, we're not we're not asking you to pay anything. We're not asking you to fund anything. We're not asking like that scene when um the leader of the crown gave him that money to yeah. tell him, hey, you know, go to Cuba, and he decided, nah, we're gonna build this hospital. Right. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna keep this money. I'll, I'll go to jail for five years, you know. Okay, whatever. Selling some ice cream or right. stealing some ice cream, whatever. I go to jail, but take this money, right? And let's let's build this free clinic that we're talking about, right? You know, and because all of us wouldn't have been mad if he took that money and left. No, none of us would have been mad about that. We would understood. We would understood that. You know what I'm saying? It's like. I can probably be more of a service if I'm somewhere else. And, um, you know, but he's like, nah, I need to, this money needs to go to this. And I don't know I'll take this five year, mm-hmm. whatever. And then I'll come back and we'll do it all over again. Right. You know, and I think that's where, that, that, again, they didn't hit on enough points. All right. But the one point I am going to hit, Deborah Johnson. Okay, I can't say her her other name because I you know I, I might butcher it. So Rob, you can fill fill me in on her name in a second. Akua Nigeri. Akua Nigeri, right? Mm-hmm. That scene when they handcuffed her, mm-hmm. and she's pregnant. She's pregnant. Yeah, and they shoot her husband, boyfriend, whatever you want to call them. They weren't married, but you know, and not one tear. Right, right. Hmm. To me, that scene showed me that how important, like we all know, you know, how important the women. Oh, yeah, the women. Oh, yeah. in that movement were essential. It's 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 crazy because again they they touched on it and they showed um, again the importance of black women by you know ranking and how they were giving directions. But one of the fascinating parts about the Black Panther Party. Again, it was ahead of its time. The fascinating, one of the fascinating parts about the Black Panther Party was the role of leadership within, of women leadership within that organization. And to the point where they were intentional about having women hold guns. Yeah, and in charge. And being in charge. And men cooking breakfast for the breakfast program. They wanted to change gender roles. Now, were they... Totally, this you know, nah, you, you know, you're never gonna have that. No, and they they'll acknowledge that, but it was very intentional in the way they organize as a community. And it's again, this challenges. It was a ch- it's supposed to challenge 
the way people, the social, social construct of America. And I wanted this movie to challenge this, the, the, the viewer. There's a reason why, and we talked about it briefly, or you mentioned it. You know, I feel a ways that a lot of these, is getting all these reviews and it's, be, it's beautiful reviews. I'd be honest with you. That's a red flag for me. Super red flag. Because if it's getting all these reviews from, let's just call them white publications, mm-hmm. that means it didn't challenge them enough. It was a good movie. Right. It was a good movie. I wanted a movie like American Skin where you don't see... No pub. No pub. <laughs> because that shit, it literally, it challenges you. Like American Skin challenges you to the point where you're like, ah, shit. How, how, we ain't gonna talk about it. We can't talk about it. Look, Nate. No, I know we're not talking about this. Nate Parker has done two movies that have been in the back burner. Okay, right. They hype it up, and then they go see it, and then it disappears. Disappears. They don't want to talk about it. Okay, <laughs> American Skin and um, the first one. Yeah. Um, uh, you talk about the uh, um, where, where he got caught the caught the. The, 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 Nate Turner. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, I forgot. Oh my god, what's the name of the movie? Um, but you know what I'm talking about. But again, yeah. not Turner, not Nate Turner, Nat Turner. Yeah, where? Yeah. Uh, they had a bidding war. People were wanting to buy yeah. it. Yeah. Actually, you know, they saw it and I was like, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Oh, this, wait a minute, buddy. You're pushing. You're, you're you're really pushing it here. This what you're, you're, <laughs> what you're talking about. Listen, we're gonna give you this money. Yeah. But we ain't gonna show this movie, right? And then we're gonna hit you with these charges. A lot, well, a lot of them, a lot of it was due to the, the press actually set him up in that movie because uh, I know we're we're diverging. Here. I know my we, bad, can, but we no, it's cool. It's a podcast. I don't care. Um, <laughs> like it's a quick delineation here. Like in that during um, that Nat Turner publication, uh, a public uh, publicity tour, um, they the studio sent birth of a nation, birth sorry. of a nation. They sent out sent him out to do the um, pub, and they. Put him on this early Oscar buzz. If you remember, he had early Oscar buzz. Mm-hmm. And but as most with most Oscar buzz, they the studio sends out a PR team to protect the person when they're going on these round of interviews and kind of prep them on the questions. They sent Nate Parker out there to buy him's lonesome, and then he was getting railroaded in organi- in these interviews regarding this particular incident. I'm not going to get into whether or not it's true or not about what happened. I know he was acquitted. And there were some people, but I don't want to get into yeah, it. But, get, yeah. yeah, but what I will say is the studio left them out to dry. And then when it hit, like within a week, they, they were like, no, we're not getting behind this movie. So they, they were pumping the movie up. And then once he, they sent him out there in the wilderness by himself, no PR team, nothing. And then he was getting lambasted with these questions. And he did t- terribly, he did horribly in answer to questions. And then the, the, you know, the rest is notable history. So, um, you know, the, but pivoting back to this movie, I, again, I felt like there's a reason why this film is getting such high praise is because it's a nice movie. It was safe. It was a safe movie. Yeah. It's just safe. It's we'll just call it what it is. It's a comfortable movie. It was safe. It's, it's, a comfortable it's, comfortable it's, it's a comfortable movie. It was, it was a very, it's a very comfortable, safe by, um, depiction not a biopic depiction of um you know of how this story of bill (laughs) o'neill and um fred hampton played out um all right so let's talk about bill o'neill can can we talk about bill o'neill for a second and i'm I'm gonna tell you what i'm gonna tell you uh i'm gonna play a scene for bill o'neill okay okay not a scene but a a, a quick note here My recruitment by the FBI was very efficient. 
Very simple, really. Um, I'd stole a car and uh, went joyriding over the state limit. And um, they had a potential case against me. And I was looking for an opportunity to uh, work it off. And um, a couple of months later, that opportunity came when uh, uh, FBI agent Roy Mitchell asked me to uh, go down to the local office of the Black Panther Party and try to uh, gain membership. The FBI. So that was that's our. <laughs> I want to introduce Bill Neal under the proper guys here. Of, so yeah, here, here's my thing about the move. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a little fun with this one. Okay. All right. So here you go. You got this young young brother comes into the movement, and he in the movie he depicts some real shady tactics in how he's moving. <sighs> In the culture, one thing we know how to do, in the in, in the streets of the culture, for sure, yeah. one thing we know how to do is sniff out a snitch. Yeah. We know how to sniff out a rat yeah. in the culture. And I'm not and, a street dude, and I can tell you that. <laughs> my suburban my suburban ass can tell you that. Right. Like we know we know how to sniff out a snitch. Right. And there were so many points where I'm like, really? This is what we're doing? This is so, so this guy's just gonna. The scene when he rolled up and they were talking about how they just killed, they just threw the other dude in the ocean yeah. and everything. And, oh man, I, I wish like, I would have been there. I like, Ooh, okay. I would have gave him, yeah. I would have gave him the one, two. I would have, <laughs> what did Cardi B speak, speaking Japanese? <laughs> it was a lot of capping in that. I was like, y'all, like, y'all can't smell the cap. Right. <laughs> so, I was like, you putting too much on it. Too much, too right. sauce, on the, on the, too much on, sauce. Too much sauce. Too man. much sauce on it. I was just like, huh. Yeah. The scene in the car when they were grilling him about how he and that's the first so honestly in the beginning, that's the first thing I thought. Like, how how you think you just gonna roll up with this nice ass car and ain't nobody gonna question how you got it. Right. Like, what's the plan here? And they and then the scene comes where they properly grill him in the in the whip. I'm like, okay, here we go. All right, they really right. gonna give him the business now. And even that was the whole like, time yeah. he's like, what? Huh? Nah. Yeah. No. Nah, see what had happened was, yeah. uh, yeah. I, I used to boost cars and I stole this from a pimp. And like, it sounded real yeah. fugazi. <laughs> where you stole this car right. from in a pimp that we don't know? The, like we well, who's it? What like in Chicago? What we in the same town? Like what? It, what, what pimp, pimp is this? Because I didn't. I didn't even hear a car getting stolen. So give me the pimp. Where the block? Yeah. Who's who, yeah? Who who's the pimp? Who's the pimp? And and, and again, this is the this is a time where everybody knew everybody, right? Like, so you could easily ask around, like, yo, yo, what's the word on the street here? What but, what you know, what that is called? Here's the other scene. Here's the other scene. Where they're in the where where they're in the crowns. They're in their home, and my man noticed him like, yeah. "Hey, what's up? Yeah. What's up, Dick Tracy?" Yeah. <laughs> then, so he gets he gets slapped because you know he's talking out of turn, whatever. I know they you know there's yeah. rules, whatever. But you would think that somebody would be like, "Hey, man, what was that about?" Yeah. And then he and then nobody wants to tell him like. Hey man, listen. He stole over his car. He, well, he was, he, and then he. The next thing you know, he's out here rolling with the free. Yeah, like, like yeah, like right. so. so um, and when, and when dude, when dude did almost call him out, he got pimp slapped. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 
is, is it we just is it we just never gonna revisit that? We just not gonna we like understand about the fact that yeah, like yeah, you know, understand like there's a snitch in your in in the party right now. Like my man, in, my man was him. willing to talk out of line in the crowns, right? Like he was willing to talk out of line, right? And yeah, he got, and he got slapped to be back in place. And then you would think as a leader, hey man, what was that about? What you doing? But you know, right? But that goes right. to show you. Like and I, and I, I got it. I'm gonna set up the scene by saying this, but it it goes to show you that there was a real blind spot within the Black Panther Party because they they talk about how there was multiple inf- yeah there was multiple informants and they talked about how like that was also one of the things where they weren't vetting people in that organization. Nah, they, they were just letting people every any and everybody because they needed bodies, man. Right. And so let me I just say it. this. Hold up. So anyone that claimed they were down for the call hampton was very good at running an organization he could delegate responsibility he could spot talent the one thing that he failed to spot however was the fbi plant who was of course his personal bodyguard i routinely supplied whatever floor plans or diagrams i could uh to the FBI. I, that started in June 1969. I mean, they had a floor plan and keys to the Black Panther headquarters. So, th- th- I think that kind of gives a little aspect of like the Black Panther Party allowed people to rise very quickly within the party. And they never really give, you know, maybe that's probably why they didn't have background checks. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and they probably should have had some background checks uh, in, the, in the organization. And so I think that was evident. Some vetting. Some vetting, some proper some proper procedures in place. Uh, and it, the FBI took advantage of that. That's why they put and, plants throughout the entire organization. And maybe that's also why, you know, that's where their, their youth showed. That's exactly the, where the youth showed. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where the youth in the... In the Cause you we, know, we keep forgetting how young these people were. Yeah, they didn't know. Right. Because right. when, when you're 18, 19, 20, my boys and my boys, everybody, everybody, right. everybody, fam, everybody, son. Yeah. It was not, they not. Until you get to your 30s, you're like, man, motherfuckers be shady. Motherfuckers be shady, bro. That's what that guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, that dude is, that dude moved different, bro. <laughs> like, you, it takes you to yeah. have some experience in life. We realize people be moving real different on you. Uh-huh. In your thirties, in your thirties, you realize less is more. Yeah, like, yeah, let's yeah, <laughs> keep the squad. We gonna keep the squad small. We gonna tight. keep it tight. Yeah, we gonna keep it tight. We don't need a whole bunch of randoms in the squad right. anymore. Nah, eighteen twenty five. You go to the club 10, 15, 10, 15 deep. Yeah. In your thirties, <laughs> you got one or two. Maybe yeah. you might even go by yourself because <laughs> you want to keep out. The, you want to keep the collateral damage low. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going, yeah, two. Yeah, two at the most. We, two at the most. We keep it a collateral damage low on this one. We're gonna come in, in those two, in those two, you know, they the real ones. Yeah. You, could, you know, they got your back through thick and thin. Stories, they, if, stories align. Yeah, stories align. If we, don't. if we, ain't nobody snitching. Yeah. Ain't nobody doing. Nah, nah, we good. We, we good. good. You know, you know, ten, fifteen deep. You always got one that want to fight somebody. Yeah. Then, you know, all we got. Oh, nah, it's it's, nah, it's nah, nah. We too old for that. Man. It's funny, man. That's a very very true statement. <laughs> yeah. So, but I just again, the, again, good movie, good movie, good movie. Yeah. I saw, I saw an interview with Charlemagne on Breakfast Club, and then he was interviewing you know all the people, or whatever. 
Yeah. And I get it. I know what you're, I know why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I understand you have to do it, you know, but it wasn't, you know, they, they were praising the movie as a cultural. Oh, sorry. They were praising the movie as a cultural shifting movie. And it wasn't. And at least not to me. It wasn't. Um, but it, it did bring up some good points and I want to, you know, get into some points into where I thought was some very seminal points in the movie. All right. Um, one of them, when they talked about, he asked why the badge, you know, and I'll queue up the scene oh, right here. That, yeah, yeah. I'll queue up that. Yeah. Right so. Tell me, why the badge? Why not just use a knife or a gun like a normal car thief? <clears throat> badge is scarier than a gun. Would you mind explaining that for me? Any nigga on the streets can get a gun, man, <clears throat> sir. A badge is like you got the whole damn army behind you. I better hold on to this then. Were you upset when Dr. King was murdered? What? Were you upset when Dr. King was murdered? I don't know. You can be honest. I was a little bit. And what about Malcolm X? I never thought about all that. Just never thought about it. So that was it. That was it. Um, that was one of the good scenes. That was one of the better scenes because it should, that goes into today. Yeah. Let's let's break down that scene, um, Rob. I'm gonna let you go for unless you do. You have yeah. any thoughts on that scene? I definitely, definitely. Okay. So. This kind of calls back to what we were talking about earlier, where there were young people, young blacks that were, you know, had the revolutionary mindset. There were also some that were just like, man, I don't, I don't feel like dealing with all of this, man. Yeah. I'm just trying to get paid. I'm just trying to get mines and get the F up out of here. Yeah. Like, you know, let's just keep it real. There's, there's, you know, everybody wasn't a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Let's just, let's just put it in. That's what we saw with Bill O'Neill. That's just, he wasn't made like that. That's just not, that's just not how he was built. And so now you have Roy Mitchell in the FBI party and Roy is sitting there with Bill and like, Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, so that's why you use the badge. Okay. That makes sense. And so what Bill isn't realizing the whole time he given Roy game, Mm -hmm. he given Roy all the game. And and Roy is going back, and we see the scene later where they're typing up the fake flyer, and they're trying to figure out how black people talk and everything like that. And and Bill just giving them giving them game, mm-hmm. and it just shows how how they they used our own people against us. And and then also in the movie, Bill talks about how um how he actually like kind of looked up to Roy. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Like he actually like like he actually looked at Roy as like somebody. Yeah, this this white boy. I know he's a white boy and he works with the FBI, but he's looking out for me. Yeah. And and I, you know I'm 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 there for him. Yeah. And it was just like amazing to me to to the point where um, the scenes where they were meet up at the restaurant. Did y'all peep wide open? Did y'all peep the uh, like as the movie progressed? Oh yeah, he's, he was getting saucy with. It. His outfit the got outfit a little yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He got a little more relaxed throughout it. He was like really like lost in lost in the film. He was ordering the food. He was snapping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, real, he was getting real comfortable with it. Who are you snapping at? But you know, so the the thing is, there's a reason behind that. But go keep going. Yeah. yeah no, no. And, and I was just you know just the relationship between those two was very interesting to me between the informant and the FBI agent, because it, it did show that, Hey, everybody wasn't down for the cause. Mm -hmm. Every black person back in that era wasn't down for the cause. There were some black people that would just look, Hey, I'm just out for myself. I'm just doing what I got to do. Now, at the same time, throughout the movie, we saw hints of remorse from Bill O'Neill and he, and, and was it but remorse not or was it guilt? Guilt. guilt. Was it remorse? Guilt. Or was, it was guilt. I think that's better. I think that's a better term. Yeah. As guilt. There were definitely, definitely signs of guilt, and but not enough to the point where, when it was all said and done, all he cared about was himself right. and just doing what he had to do. Right. Yeah. Like that scene when um, I had his name pulled up. Uh, young man, when his friend died in the hospital, and he was trying to just get it, he just wanted to get some answers. And he went to the guy that worked yeah. in the hospital, yeah, like, trailer, or whatever. And he was like, Yo, I just need some answers. The guy was like, Yo, I I can't help you, dog. I gotta go to work tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just want to get paid. Right. And you know, you know, you know how these people do. So, and then he calls the police on him. He calls the police on him. So, um, I'm gonna give some statements on why I thought that seemed important, but I wanted to your point, Rob, mm-hmm. to talk about a relationship. I'm gonna do that. Drop this one. I had an FBI agent. You know, I investigated the Schwerner Cheney Goodman murders down in Mississippi in 64. You familiar? Well, uh, a couple kids was trying to register Negroes to vote. That's all they were doing. They got arrested on bogus speeding charges by the sheriff's deputy who hand-delivered them to the Klan. Um, They shot him, of course. Cut off Cheney's penis. This, what you and I are doing, is is the other side of that coin. Um, Don't let Hampton fool you. The Panthers and the Klan are one and the same. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. Plain and simple. Now, I'm all for civil rights, but you can't cheat your way to equality. And you... you So, you know, I cut the scene, but but, but I just want to... Say this, Rob. Now, going back, when he said that, when he said the, the Klan and the Panthers are oh, one and the same. But you know what? I was like, this mother. But did you know not. what? No, but like, you know what? I've actually had people, black, black people, say that shit to me. 
Wow. I've actually had black people tell, tell that shit to me. The false equivalency. So here's here's where I laid I reason I laid out those two scenes um regarding the badge and asking him about MLK and Malcolm X. And then I'm gonna pivot it to that particular scene as well. Uh what I what I know is that there's an old adage you hear, if you don't believe in anything, you fall for any if you don't believe in something, you fall for anything. Yeah. And so yeah. Roy, he targeted and the FBI by and large targeted people who essentially had no real belief system in, <clears throat> as far as socially social belief systems. It's easy to manipulate. It's easy to manipulate. And so when you're when you have something, you have no moral center core, he is a prime target. And that is why that question was so important. How did you feel about MLK? How did you feel about where you basically in 1968 in Chicago, Chicago was on fire. Yeah. Because the, because of MLK's uh, assassination, it was the Chicago riots, right? Were you a part of that? Were you part of that, uh, Bill? No, uh, you know I wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, cause, yeah, because I don't know what you talking about. What I, don't mean, know, what, I wasn't there. Right? Right? You know what I mean? Like that's that's the where you know he wants to see what is your tie in with your with your social moral understanding yeah. of what the, uh, of the society, and also the tie in. Also, what I want to do with that the, the, the second scene is that what was so insidious about. Roy's uh, statement about the um, leading into civil rights. Yeah. I'm going to say something that probably going to get me canceled, but I'm going to lay, lay it out. The problem you have oftentimes with moderates and most specifically white moderates is that they equate um, doing something for the movement as an, uh, as a overall carte blanche to critique something culturally that they, they're not a part of. And then, so the, and then they use that as a fulcrum to, to gain trust. And that's what he did. He so gained, said when he talked about that case. Yeah, he was gaining trust. He was like, and he was, he was, it was all the point of gaining trust. I know, I saw those murders about those black kids. I and, I, and I was fighting for you. I was fighting for you. But you get, and then so he, he lays it out and he layers it to the point where, so I'm not the bad guy here. Yeah. Because clearly, if I'm a bad guy, I'm not going to go after... In Mississippi and do all that? Why would I do that? Why would I do that? Right? And so then he says... Then he does the false equivalency of... And guess what? The Klan and the Black Black Panthers are the same. But you know why I was so fucked up with that statement? Because they weren't doing COINTELPRO against the Klan. To the point where... I think there was a report, report a couple months ago where they said the FBI is trying to weed out white supremacists within the federal agencies. It's so yep. in it's so embedded within yep. law enforcement. <laughs> really? You know, and so like okay. the, the shocker, shocker, right? Shocker. And so the, the false equivalency that they put towards the Klan, they weren't focusing their attention on the Klan because the Klan might have been my boss. You know? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so you weren't really being real with that statement. So when people talk about, I don't like black extremist organizations because the Black Panther Party sowed divisions of hate, you have a propagandized idea of black empowerment mm-hmm. that you don't even know you were, you were being uh, fed. The thing is, when, when you talk about black empowerment or certain groups, they automatically think that black people are trying to take over. Yeah. What? No. What? Take? We don't want your shit, man. We just we, we just want equality. We just want. That's it. We just want our stuff. Yeah. I want my economic equality. I don't want to be barred from being able to get something because 
I'm black. Right. Simple as that. Like, you know, so when, listen, we're not running up on no Capitol building. Right. We're going we're gonna to march, we're going to protest, we're going to do a lot of things, but we ain't running up in no Capitol building because we really mad at y'all. Right. We'll figure something else out. Right. We got we got enough res- respect to know, like, you know what? That's the Capitol building. We, we're not going to do that. First of all, they, they're they going to shoot us dead. Well, we know that, but I'm just... Right. You know, I, right. Yeah, we know that part, but at the same time, it's just like we not we're not out here trying to take anything from you. Right. We're trying to get stuff for us, which is a big point here, right? And it, 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 it sometimes that's lost in the conversation. Oh, yeah. Not sometimes. Always. Yeah. It's always lost. Right. And then when and whenever I tell people, and you know, because every now and then I have to tell a few white people like, "Hey, man, I don't want your shit." Right. I don't want nothing you have. Right. I just want to get what I want. Right. I want my own house. Mm-hmm. I want my own car. Yeah. I want my own property. I want my own. I want to get my stuff. And I don't want you feeling like I'm coming after your stuff. Because I don't want nothing you got. And what you got might be trash. I don't want nothing it, you got. Chances are it might be trash. And I have a better, I have a um, a more discernible uh taste for something that I would that applies to my life. Yeah. You know, and then so when you when you talk about black equality, they don't they don't see that. They they feel like you can't be equal to me. And I and I told them I don't want to be equal to you. I don't want to be equal to you. I just I mean cuz I'm a, I always feel like I'm better than you. So we're never going to be equal. <laughs> That's how I feel about myself. I'm all, I, don't, I don't I don't What you what you design ordain as equality for you may not be equality for me. Because I have, exactly. a different, I have a different idea of what I see from my life. And that's okay. That's okay. And you know, it, but that's not, that doesn't impact you. Because what did Jay say? What you eat don't make me shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so, I mean. That simple. It's, you know what I mean? So, it's like, it, I, I don't have to have, I don't have to have your life to feel equality. No. I just want to be able to go get the stuff I want. I just want to exist in my own life. And that is what real equality is, exists in my own life. And when we talked about, when, I, when we talk about socialism, whatnot, I, what, it, what pains me when I hear people say they equate um, paying for health care or paying for college, which by and large was what the, Be- the Black Panther Party was about. That's exactly what they're- Healthcare and, right. and, and being able to afford your life, being able to afford to eat something, be able to afford to live somewhere, be able to afford education. That is the ideals of the Black Panther. What Bernie got propped it up for in 2016 and, and raised his political um, profile was the tenets of the Black Panther Party. And so, you know, I don't care. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sitting sit there and say that I'm a communist or socialist, but I will tell you that it shouldn't be communism. It shouldn't be socialism because I have to choose between going bankrupt or saving my family from a healthcare scare. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if, like if God forbid if something should happen to any one part of my family and they have to have a, do, take on a enormous healthcare bill, despite the fact that we have insurance mm-hmm. and if insurance just don't cover the shit, yeah. I'm facing financial ruin. Yeah, possibly, yeah. You know? And that doesn't make me, that shouldn't make me a freaking communist or socialist because I don't want to go bankrupt to save my family. Yeah. To save my life. I gotta to go save my, fa- my, my, my life. I gotta go broke, okay. You know what I mean? Or I shouldn't have to go bankrupt in order to have education, to pro- provide education for my family. 
So if those things make me a, a socialist because I believe that the government should be able to provide, uh, uh, provide health or the government should be able to provide an equalized or education, yeah. then, that, then fuck it. That makes me a socialist. Because guess what happened? In post-Reconstruction era, black congressmen terraformed the, the public policy uh, of the United States. Mm-hmm. Post-Reconstruction was the highest um, influx of, of black congressional leaders. Now, that got taken away once they started seeing Congress, uh, these black uh, uh, um, Cong- former slaves being elected to office. And what they did was they created the public school system. Black legislators created the public school system that benefited everybody. everybody. It didn't just benefit black slaves. Everybody. Everybody. And what these white power, power landowners said, uh, power uh, um, hungry landowners said, so, oh shit, we can't have that because they're building towards equality, real equality. Mm-hmm. So what did they do? That's when they, did, they, they started getting to redistricting. And then you saw that after post reconstruction, after the, you started seeing black congressional representation dwindle in the House and then definitely in the Senate. So this is, this is the thing here that is so insidious about what white supremacy is. And people don't, we don't talk about that stuff. It's because it's super, first of all, you know, it's already uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable it, for, for certain people to talk about certain right. things, right? Um, and when you bring up, when you start bringing up anything, when you start bring up anything with equality, they get real uncomfortable, right? Right. And they, again, like you said, they don't understand what the, what real equality is. Again, because they, like I said before, they think we're trying to come after their stuff, right? And that's not the case, right? And I felt like this, you know, tying them back to the movie, I felt like this movie should have made certain people uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's not gonna do that. No. At this point, everything that both of you have said is all, it's just facts. It's not propaganda. It's, it's just facts right. that you're saying. And, and I feel like at this point in today's social media age where everything, you know, if you actually just take the time in research, you can find out just about anything that you want to find out about and find facts. You're going to find some a lot of opinion also, but you're also going to find if you dig properly and do your proper research, you're going to find that. And at this point in 2021, if you don't want to listen, you just don't want to listen. Right. Yeah. That's where I'm. Simple as that. That's all. You don't want to listen. It's there. Everything is there for you. Everything is spelled out. Everything is just sitting right there for you at your fingertips for you to understand better. But in, in there are some people there, there are some white people that have embraced it and have actually taken the time to educate themselves and do the research. There are some white people that are like, no, nah, I'm going to just live in my box. I like how things are. Or black people. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that too. Or black people too. Yeah, that's not, yeah. yeah you know, Hispanic, Latino, whatever. This, yeah. This is what I see the world as. This is what, what, what I feel the United States of America is. And okay, whatever it is, what it is, I'd rather just sit here and complain, or I'd rather just sit here and because I'm in a good spot, I'm I'm comfortable, right? I right. feel I'm I'm good where I'm at, if so can, yeah, I'm straight. If you can I'll just time. keep on doing. Oh, sorry, Rob. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because I'm getting mine. I'm getting I'm getting my paper. Mm-hmm. I'm getting my bread. Yeah. I'm I'm so you know what's the problem? So. 
at this point, if you if you're not if you're not really trying to educate yourself, then you know so be it. Just there's just I don't know. It's 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 hard to bring people into the into a movement or 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 inflict change when they're just a a percentage of our society that just doesn't want to change. Some people just don't want change. Yeah, and my thing is I go like this: Look, if you got time to do a couple busted challenges, you got time. To do some, <laughs> you got time to do a silhouette challenge. You got time <clears throat> to do. You know, spending hours on TikTok, Twitter, all that, whatever social media. I mean, you got time to, you know, just do a little reading. I tell everybody, you know, when somebody's like, I'm bored, hey, go read a book. Just go read. Mm-hmm. You know, reading is like, it's like the adage said, reading is fundamental. It is fundamental. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reading is fundamental. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not telling you to go out ahead and, and read, uh, you know, you know, War and Peace or anything. Yeah. But just go, just, right. Type in in the Google box. <laughs> Google, you know what? That is one of the things I hate about. And actually, I felt like this movie represented our current generation mm-hmm. of this very plastic understanding of things. It was a very microwave movie that was representative of where we're at in, in culture. Because back in 92, I think we had more patience with information. Now, if it's not readily in front of us, and that's what scares me, we we're not going to do it. So people are going to take this movie. And then they're going to be like, okay, oh, on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. You know, and it's a, it's a two hour movie, literally kind of under little under two hours mm-hmm. um, when yep. you're not including credits. And so, it's a it's a very microwaved movie. That yes, if you're if the proper person, like you should take this movie and use it as a launching point to dive deeper into the they mythology of the Black Panther Party. Anybody diving Hampton. deeper, man? Not a lot of people are going to do that because literally people will be like, when you say, hey, you can. Like when they ask you a question, they'd be like, you literally could Google that. Like, I don't have to answer the question for you. But that's not the way our society has patterned the way of thinking. It's very quick on to the next Instagram likes, uh, Facebook likes, um, you know, uh, you know, every social media uh, um, platform is very quick, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then I got to move on. Yeah, move on. Um, so before we move on to the next portion, what I want to do is give a background on the Fred Hampton trial. Cause they mentioned it in a blip. Yeah. And this goes into, again, the insidious nature of the FBI. So the FBI, obviously they set up Fred Hampton. What they did was they, okay, back up. 1968, Nixon was elected president. Mm-hmm. He get he goes and he has this mandate of a law and order presidency. That sounds familiar. Mm. So then he he goes and he launches this thing where he says, I'm going to invest in law and order and get everybody back under line of law enforcement. Because remember, in 1960, it was a hot year in in, in America, around the world. And so people were looking for, quote unquote, this person to make things make sense again. And so order. And so Lincoln gets elected. He then emboldens Edgar Hoover with all the resources and carte blanche to do whatever he wants. Literally, this is what happens. He says, you, I'm going to give you full reign to do whatever you need to do. Edgar Hoover takes that and he sends out a mandate to all law enforcement agencies across the, across the country and says, you have now the ability to run roughshod 
of organizations and that we deem terror, domestic terrorism, primarily black organizations. So FBI tells us to local police departments and state attorneys, district attorneys, right? Why this play, why, why this makes a difference? Because what people don't realize, and they didn't go into this in the movie, was that it was local police, quote unquote, that shot up Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the FBI. It was local police. How did the local police get it? Oh, because it was actually a warrant issued by Ed, uh, it was Ed Harahan, the district attorney mm-hmm. for Chicago, the Democratic district attorney for Chicago. So the Democratic district attorney issued a warrant out for Fred Hampton, gave it to the local police department. They ran up in the house, shot up everything, mm-hmm. right? They were so brazen that they left the scene, didn't seal the scene. Then what happened was Black Panther Party, they noticed they didn't seal the scene. What that means, seal the scene, like they didn't cut off anybody. They yeah. just shot them up like, that's the end of that. Yeah, no. and, you know, and then they didn't seal them. And so Black Panther Party then led people into the home, including newspapers, and allowed them to tour the home. There were literally people touring, and they said, and they, they were saying, like, don't touch nothing, but we want to give you evidence of what happened. And so literally there were like lines out in the street of people watching the, this scene. It was like a slaughterhouse. Lines in the street of newspaper, regular people, old, young and old, yeah. coming in and wa- looking at this murdered environment. Why that's important? Because Ed Harahan then, as a way to justify what happened, he built, literally built a mock place in the, in the district attorney's office of, and then goes on TV and says, you know, says a depiction of what happened, like how they were under Chicago police were under fire. They, the Chicago um, Daily News then runs a page one counter story talking about the Panther story of the killings, goes back and with, of course, they are now getting the other side of it from the defense attorneys of the, the seven Black Panthers that were in the apartment at the yeah. time. And they show in detail that all the sh- gunshots that, you know, Ed Harahan put out in his district attorney's office said that these were all, you know, it was return fire out of like, I think the hundred or so rounds that were in that particular, only one round one. was return fire one. And that was the initial round from the guy they showed him in the movie where he, yeah. he got shot because the only reason he shot, it was because it was above the door. Because it was a reaction of getting shot in the chest, yes, and, and he shot, and he, yeah, shot, he shot up, shot up, and so, yep. so Edward then, but they were so they were so stupid. They were he released photographs of it. People went to go tour the site. People went to go see that these shots weren't return fire shots. Mm-hmm. They were aggressive shots going yes. into the yeah. house, right? Because the split the way the splintering of the wood was, right? Um, at that, so what ends up happening then is. Obviously, they had a trial. Um, they end up losing. Uh, it was a year-long trial. They end up losing the case uh, at Harahan. Mm-hmm. End up losing the case. The federal government throws um, uh, uh, the department. The, they they throw the state attorney's or district attorney's office under the bus. Right, leave them hanging, saying they were totally inept in their execution of this warrant. <laughs> That's not what they were, that's not what they, were, what they were supposed to do. Right. They literally tell the the the, the, the um the the actual federal government literally said that 
you guys, the DOJ, Department of Justice, said they were irresponsible in 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 how they executed the warrant, and they said that the state attorney, the district attorney's office, was fully liable. Think about that shit. They supplied them with information and then said, you guys are the ones to blame. They got that shit hey, off of them. Like, hey, y'all, that's on you. They got that shit <laughs> off of them quick, right? And so, I mean, there's a whole political thing that happens, even leading up to, like, the whole Barack Obama election uh, in 2008. There's a lineage of, like, how this affected Chicago politics. Yeah. Because, again, Harahan was a Democratic state attorney, and the people of Chicago, like, re like revolted against, like, the Democratic Party. It was this whole thing. But that's the kind of that's actually a good story. That is a good story. That is a good story that like people don't and they, they didn't bring in that tie in of like how did like who got like because it, it just showed like hey give him this like going from the restaurant when O'Neill met the other guy who was you know shout out to Little Rail yeah Lorel yeah <laughs> who, who had, like, Lil the <laughs> you know it was a it was a get out reunion yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You noticed that, right? It was a get out reunion. When I saw the yeah, when I saw the beginning credit, I was like, Little Rail. Yeah. And I went to the whole he's like, Oh, he's only in the end. Okay. Yeah. But it shows you, hey, give him this, he's gonna go to sleep. And next year you know, after they had that little, you know, party or meeting of what, what they're gonna do next with the Black Panther party, what they're gonna do next for um Hampton and with the money, or he's gonna leave, he's gonna stay. And next year, you know, he they get the drink. O'Neal drives off and boom, they're at the house ready to shoot up. I'm just like, what? Like, the execution of the movie just was so like it was like a lot of missing parts. Yeah, like how, what, when, how, what, like what? It just it didn't add. It didn't add. A, it and it is. I rather they would have taken an extra. It wouldn't have hurt them to take extra thirty minutes. It wouldn't yeah. have hurt them in the movie mm. to take extra, at least detail. 30 minutes on, like overall on th on certain parts of the movie. Right. Like give a five minute tear, give 10 minutes there, maybe like another five minutes. Fill in tier. some blanks because there was a lot of blanks that were like left in like, to point like, I think that's important that the FBI fed a local state office information and empowered them and then threw them under the bus when the shit got hot. Because here's the thing. Because here's the thing. It only shows. It doesn't show the. It, it shows like this is a, this is an FBI thing, right? When they had the shootout with the police and the police blew up the burned down the building, right? Yeah. The only reason the police felt empowered that way is because the FBI had given them the mandate, power, given the mandate to be there and do that power. Yeah. They don't explain that. They don't explain that they just, shit. They just show, oh, we just beefing with the police. No, yeah. we're not. The police are there because the FBI, the, Department of Justice, told them go I, after them. You guys can, happen. you guys can literally. There were raids happening in Black Panther offices all across the country. They didn't talk about that. They just talked about is it a response to because somebody got shot yeah. and it was like response to cop killers. Like that wasn't the thing. And, and again, that movie did misinformed the viewer about the antagonistic nature between the police and the Black Panther yeah, Party. Because when they were in the in the store and the police was just randomly just frisking the people in Which the Which I store, thought was a dumb scene. And you know, they showed Jimmy is Jimmy Palmer. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy. And Jimmy goes in there starts and blasting. Start blasting. I'm like Wait, hold on, y'all. This has to be more. He, it, it's like it don't add, bro. Like he like, wasn't just in there blasting. Like there has to be more detail because now what you're showing, you're showing the black people as an aggressive as, unit. Yeah, yeah. unnecessarily aggressive. And, and yeah, Jimmy was upset about something that happened. And yes, he maybe was more aggressive than the other ones. But they, the Black Panther Party wasn't this an aggressive unit that 
that was propagated in this film. Yeah. It actually was a because think about it, if they were aggressive, there would have been murders every fucking day. It yeah. wasn't. It was yeah. it was police aggression that created the shootouts. Even all the shootouts, there's literally evidence. Every shootout was instigated and propagated by police, police. raiding these offices. Yeah. And so that's where I felt like, again, I, I, I watched that scene and it left a bad taste in yeah. my mouth. It left a bad taste in my mouth watching that. And, we, it, you know, again, we talked about it. Black people can be overly critical of shit like that, but I, of our, our own films. But, you know, what? we should be able to be critical because this is our shit. Yeah. Because what's going on is the, the white publications are propping this up. Right. As the story. As the story. And you know, there's a missing part to it, y'all. A lot of missing parts. And it's not as... It ain't as sweet as they're making it out to be because the police, they were uber aggressive because they had that power from the government. They said, hey, go do y'all. Right. Don't worry about nothing else. Go do y'all. Go get these people. Right. And some of these people ain't doing nothing but just trying to live their life. Right. You know, and so that scene kind of bothered me a little bit. And then he's in the hospital also and they take him away and then he's dis- then he dies. Right. Like, what? It's just, it was just a big jump, man. It was a, it was, I, I don't know if that's on a cutting the cutting floor of the editing room. I don't know. It was just some lump parts. But anyway. Overall, watch the movie. With all that being said, go watch the movie. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. Right. Form your own opinion. We could be wrong. We could be super Yeah. I could be wrong. We could be we could be some assholes right yeah, now. I've been wrong about a lot of things in my life. I'm okay being wrong. I'm okay with people looking at me that I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm like, okay, cool. But yeah. watch the movie. Form your own opinion, and you know, hit Cam back up on on the on the uh, message board. Message board, and be like, "Yo, you were wrong. You wrong. You wild out here. You wild, bro. <laughs> you were you were so off base. You and your guests are like, y'all wild out here, hey, bro. And I we will respond to that. Yeah, and guess what? I'm gonna be on like Rob, Ken. We didn't have a conversation about. We didn't go in thinking this podcast like we were gonna hate the movie. I didn't know where y'all stood. Yeah. I didn't. Did I know where you stood, Rob? No. no. Nope. So no, we so, pur- we purposely did not give each other anything, anything, and any insight into what direction we were going to go in with this pod, right? Because we wanted to be a very fluid and authentic. candid conversation. You wanted to be authentic, yeah. And yeah. so even when Ken kind of wanted, like, I, I'm like, yep, 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 don't talk to me about it. I don't yeah. want to hear. I want to let's get it on wax, uh-huh. you know. So, um, all right, let's get it. Let's kind of lean into something a little bit more fun. All right, the soundtrack, the soundtrack. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't like. Yeah. Did, did not like. The, you didn't like the soundtrack. All right, I'm. I'm going to say this up, up top. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We already had this conversation. You think I'm crazy? For this. Okay. I don't know what conversation we had. We have a lot of conversations. <sighs> I know Hove is the goat. Okay. <laughs> that, Wait that, a second. That don't, don't start talking blasphemy. That conversation. Okay, that conversation. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, there's a whole pod. We need, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do this conversation okay. justice. Let's just about, say about about Jay Z's. We can't do that conversation justice on just like a small portion. No, no, no. That I'm, has to be a whole podcast. Yeah, I'm just talking about. Okay. Here's my opinion on Jay-Z is like a nice pair of J's that you had for a while. Okay. That's super comfortable. Okay. Don't really match a lot of outfits, but you love this pair. When you put it on, you feel good and you enjoy it. But eh, it's old. 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. I lo- listen. listen. No, no, no. Before I say this, before I say this, I know. Oh. I know uh, listen. Jay Z is one of the greatest rappers out there. Okay? He is. I'm not ever going to put that past him. All right? But is he some super. He's a capitalist at his finest. He is a capitalist at his finest. Yeah. So when he goes around touting that he's doing all these things, which, nah. he, which he yes and no, yes and no. Okay, it's me first. It's definitely me him first, second, and third. Yeah, it's me first. Yeah. Then the rest of <laughs> it. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes when I hear certain things, I'm like, come on, dog. Like he props himself up as some revolutionary. Like, yeah, you, yeah. 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 Like, this shoe don't fit. Yeah. Let's not do that. Yeah. And and. Listen, I'm not taking his rhyming skills, all that. Listen, I'm not taking nothing away from Hope. He's that guy. But when you start talking about you, you're this. Re- nah, man. You're not, you're not the reincarnation of Fred Hampton. You're not that. Don't do, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can, you, you have your own place in life. That's what I'm saying. You have your own place. You have your own status. Your icon. Yeah, dog. You are. You know what I'm saying? And you. Are doing things for the community. Cool. You may be doing things in the background that I don't know about. Absolutely. Cool. But don't don't be like, yo, they're coming after me next. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. You know, Jay, don't, just, they're not. They're not. Jay, they're not coming after you next, dog. <laughs> you, you, you are not oh, you are not on the DOJ's hit list. You're not. Yeah. Now, unless you're doing something I don't know about. Listen, I'm not. Listen, I'm like I said, I live in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. I, I go to work. Yeah. I raise my kids. Yeah. But... Do I see Jay Z as the next guy? Oh, do I see Jay Z as the next guy that yo they coming after? Mm, nah, man, they're not. You know, you're not. They're not going to run up in U and B's house with guns. You know, <laughs> definitely not doing that. Shooting up the house. Hey, you know what? He might be smarter than that. That's probably why. Right. You know, they won't. Yeah. Right. But in, right. I but the soundtrack was good. Okay. The soundtrack was good. I know where you're going with this. I have an idea. I I. I feel I, like he's missing two people on the soundtrack. I know where you, I, I kind of know who you are, but all right, Rob, yeah. go ahead. I do agree from the fence that the soundtrack was good. Yeah. Um, well, I made the mistake of, I went to the gym the first time I listened to it. I'd same here. And I'm, a, you know, Friday. I'm thinking Black Panther, Black Revol- Revolutionary, I'm about to get hype in the gym. I'm about to kill it. I'm about to I'm about to hit 225 on the bench. Yeah. I'm about to go all the way in. I'm ready NFL to go. Reps. Yeah. I'm ready for the NFL combine after listening to this story right here. Yeah. And I listened, I was like, oh, that was under okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was very, very smooth and not motivating. So I was like, so I actually text my homeboy. I was like, because he, he hit me up first thing Friday morning. And he was, because he listened to it, like, first thing as soon as he got up. He's like, yo, this joint is nice. I was like, oh, okay, bet, bet. I'm ready. And then I listened, I was, and I texted him later on. I was like, ah, bruh, I wasn't feeling it. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't feeling that. But I was like, you know what? I listened to it. Maybe I listened to it in the wrong setting. Yeah. And yeah. so I said, okay. I did the same So thing. I listened to it again on Saturday in the, in the whip, in the truck. Chilling, cruising through the streets, and and then and then on the speakers in the house, it hit different. It hit a little bit different. Yeah, it, it hit different because it's more of a sit down, listen, 
you know, vibe out. It's more of a vibe out type of it, type of album. Yeah. So. And 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 um and I will say to Ken's point, it is very top heavy. It is very top. First so five you tracks. Put, <laughs> the first five tracks. You put you put her Nas. Jay Z, Nipsey, Black Thought, all in the first five tracks, yeah. and then it was like, oh. like Hit okay, no, but okay, but I have a theory on this one. I have a theory. Wait, wait, wait. And then, and then, and then Hit Boy try to get his Kanye on. Yeah, he's like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing, Hit Boy. All right, you know, cool. right, yeah, okay, all right, cool, cool. Now, at the same time, in my second listen. Like the joint with Dom Kennedy. Ooh, I love uh, that song. I love Dom. The, the second song with with G Herbo, not the first the, one. The I, was gonna, I was gonna get into that. I was gonna get into that. with G Herbo. I'm gonna get into that. Kind of hard. That joint is kind of hard. I'm gonna get into that. And and, and um, so then wow. and then you got the smooth stylings with BJ and, and Chicago yeah, Kid and and, yeah. and, Sir yeah. and everything. So I was like, you know what? Overall. I'll give it a good, you know, I'll give it a good seven, seven and a half out of ten. Like, okay. it's a good album. It's a good album. Oh, oh, and Ken, Ken, Jay-Z was the hardest verse on the whole album. Are you crazy? Uh, Jay-Z was the hardest verse you, on the whole album. Did you listen to Me. Black Thought? Okay. Well. Okay. So did you listen Black to Rap City? Thought, Rap City verse was hard. What you White Dave actually White Dave, was a, right, White Dave went a little he went a little bullish on that track. I listen. I like Jay Z's verse. First of all, first of all, I had to look up White Dave on Google to make sure just he to was make black. sure you can rock to it. I did this. I dropped a couple of in bombs. He dropped a couple of in bombs, and I was Dave. like, "White Dave dropping in bombs." Hold up. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it's a good album. Okay, yeah. So, here's my thing. So remember I talked to you about how No Name said she didn't want to be on the album because it didn't represent what she was feeling. She said... Well, that, can I get my thoughts before we get... Yeah, yeah go ahead. Go, my yeah. Fault, my fault, go ahead. Okay, so... Um, so, I'm, I'm going to go, first of all, to your point with the album. Jay, and I'm sorry, I was just, just returning a text message because people keep texting me here. Um, I felt like this album... There were tracks on there that didn't add up to the theme theme of the movie. Okay, I felt right. like it was clearly a and you could tell. And if you look at it, uh, Hit Boy A and R a lot of the, mm-hmm. the film, I mean the movie, a uh, soundtrack rather, and it sounded like oh we got some random songs that were probably going to be on other people's projects. Is put on a soundtrack, and Jay does his best to to try to tie in the movie mm-hmm. to his verse. But it still felt like it was kind of rammed into the not overall theme. Because to your point that um, outside of their birthdays, I mean, his birthday and his death day, it's they don't have anything in common. Right. And so um, even I love Nipsey Hussle. You know how I love Nipsey. But even Nipsey's verse didn't really fit. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And so it's a good song. It's a nice song to listen to. That's what I'm saying. You know, it doesn't. If I'm going with the, the the context of the album with the movie, like Polo G song fit more than Jay Z's, right? You know, and 
And I know all soundtracks don't have music on there that fit. I get that. You know what I'm saying? Soundtracks are just a combination of music. They, they, did they play any of this music in the movie? No, they did not. No, they not did not. One. They played her, no. I think, in, was it in the beginning or the end? No, in the end. I think they played her at the yeah. end of the movie. But they didn't. They didn't. They didn't do. They didn't do um, any other tracks. And then, like I said, Rob, I enjoyed Jay Z's music. Right? I'm not taking any away from Jay. I just feel like when they pop up, oh, Jay Z has a song with Nipsey Hussle. You know, your brain as a fan automatically goes to the highest level, and that's probably where I'm at fault. You hear Jay-Z, you hear Nipsey Hussle. So your brain automatically goes, oh, this right here is about to be fire. And it's cool. It's a good song. You know, I think Nas's song is, that song's dope. But even in Nas's song, I felt like it didn't match the album. If, you know what it felt like? It felt like a lost track off of The King's Disease. Yeah, that's what I, I like the song, but it still felt like a lost track. Yeah. It didn't feel like it fit the total theme of the entire. And I feel like, look, I know Kendrick, and I know, uh, yeah, and um, I keep, why I keep forgetting his name? Oh boy, from North Carolina, Rob, you know what I'm talking about. J. J. Cole. Cole, thank you. Yeah, like I know y'all busy. I get it. I feel like I could have, you could have spit a bar or two on him. I realized, you know what I think happened. And this is my theory. I have no facts on this shit. I feel like Kendrick is keeping his uh, powder dry on this one because I feel like he's going to drop an album. Oh, he dropped it. Please. He has. He's been like four years. He's been been going on five years now. I feel like Kendrick's like, I'm going to let y'all have that. I'm going to let y'all hold that because I think he's going to drop something this year. And it's like, I'm he, what makes Kendrick such an, uh, an incredible, unique artist is that you don't hear from him. For like years. years, and then when he drops, and then he don't hear from him again. So I don't think he wanted to introduce himself Dude, this, on this one. On this, I, and I get that, I respect that. Buddy. And the same thing with J Cole. J Cole don't believe in doing features. No, He'll you know, tell you. He'll, he, you know what I mean. So those are the two artists. Like J, Kendrick would have bodied that song with him with Nipsey and, and Hove. He would have bodied that song. You know. Um, there's another track that I think J. Cole would have bodied. The one with uh Jid and Rhapsody. Yeah. Something ain't yeah. right. Yeah. I think J. Cole would have bodied that track. And I'm sure they got reached out. Yeah. But I'm sure they were like, no, nah, we kind of working our own thing. I got my own stuff uh, bubbling. Yeah. I, and and I know like I know this this movie is you know, it's a Chicago based movie. And G Herbo He shouldn't have been on that album twice. <laughs> He shouldn't have been that first. That first song pisses me off so much that he's on. That first, that first it angers me. It angers me when I'm like, "Why the fuck is this song on this album?" And I know it's and the thing is, and the, the problem I have with it, the title of it, all black. It's like it's a dope title and a terrible artist, and the beat is even, the beat is fire, but he is such a terrible artist that it's like I just don't know. There's no world, there's no world where he should be on an album twice. No, but guess what? Revolutionary is hard, but Bump J carries that song and the beat. And then and then G Herbo kind of rallies off of what Bump J does. So it was like, I was like, okay, I like that song. It's a good song. But when you listen to it, you can kind of tell like G Herbo ain't taking the he ain't driving the car on this one. 
And then <laughs> the, the you know I know Pooch Shiesty is some you know he's a new yeah new rapper. Um, I give him credit for. I give him credit for actually you know doing some creativity, creativity, doing no, something outside of his lane. Then he the no profanity, yeah. and and that was his last bar in the line. Like yeah. I was like, okay, that yeah. was creative. You know, okay, and, and I give him credit for that. You know what I'm saying? And again, you know, I'm not looking for you know rappers. You know, sometimes I I'm not looking for super bars. Not everybody's gonna be black thought. No. Not everybody's gonna be Nas, you know what I'm saying? Those guys, you know, those are rare people out there, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I give Pusha T credit for because I listen, I ain't gonna I, I spent a whole eight and a half minutes listening to Pusha T's album when I was done. Which means the, <laughs> the album's longer than eight and a half minutes. I right. just gave you eight and a half minutes. I was like, No, nah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not my lane. Yeah, it's not it's my not, and I said, it's not saying it's not for me. It's just not for me. It's not for me. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Can't, oh, okay. This is what we're doing here? All right. On to the next. But I give him credit for that. I, and again, the album, the, the soundtrack is not terrible. Again, listen to it. Enjoy it. Um, I mean, but the placement of certain artists, like you had like, uh, 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 oh boy, um, ASAP Rocky. Did, yeah. yeah. Here's the thing about that. ASAP Rocky literally has... A whole thing where he's like, I don't believe in like social justice or movement. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that is his whole thing, right? ASAP Rocky literally openly says that, you know, um, I don't know, like, like I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe in political acti- yeah. activism. Oh, black, yeah, the you know black what I mean? Lives matter black thing. Lives Matter is not a thing. Yeah. It's like, and so to put him on an album with the <laughs> film, it just seems like it don't, and then his song. It, like, it, it, it just listen, man. I I just wasn't I wasn't a fan of it. Like the placement, I just I thought I thought it was mishandled. It was a mishandled. And I and I, I guess ASAP came around saying, "Look, I didn't know better. I didn't know this. You know, true. And I, I you know I understand what they're doing. I was in a different place. Yada yada yada. I get all that. But the name of the song is called Rich Nigga Problems. Ain't nobody in the Black Panther rich. It would just. It was, just, and I get you know maybe I got to go back and listen to more of the song. And again, the song, like I said, ASAP is a good rapper. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, was, I mean it's a good album, bro. Let, let me tell you, it's a good album. But I just thought, I thought, um, I just thought it was an interesting, interesting placement. So I want to, I, I want to ask this though. First of all, before we I ask the question, again, we mentioned Dom Kennedy. Kennedy. There are a few people's voices in hip hop and music that just like it don't matter what they are on. West Coast all the way. That joint, but that joint, it it bumped. That their voice just yeah. makes the song. You know who does that? Um, Dom Kennedy, Kennedy, and um, Anderson Park. Yeah, yeah. Anytime yeah. they're on a, they, anytime their lips hit a track, yeah. you, their uh, voice it just it makes the song breathe different, it, man. It works every time. It's so it's so West Coast. I mean. Every time I hear Dom Kennedy track, I feel like I'm in a low rider just cruising through Crenshaw. Like I just, I just love, I, just feel I like love Dom. He don't, he don't miss. Nah, he don't. He don't miss many times, man. He don't miss. Him and him and um, again, Anderson Park, they don't miss, man. Nah, even when the song ain't great, they still don't miss. They still don't miss. You know. Um, you know was uh, and also Nipsey's like that before. Oh, he never missed. He never misses. His voice is so incredible. His voice that anytime he's on a track, it, he, he doesn't miss. He um, miss. so all right, I want to ask this question. Uh, soundtrack in the world of soundtracks, are we 
where does this rank as far as because you know what we don't get a lot of good movie soundtracks anymore. Not, not, not right. Because we haven't got any good movies recently, but that's neither here or there. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think I've I've heard I've heard the conversation be had about soundtracks where it's a casualty of the streaming era. Yeah. Because before movie comes out, the CD comes out, you go purchase the CD. Artists knew that they could get, you know, get their stuff off on the CD. And they were more, they were more in tune to collab. There was, there was more interest in collabing, but now in the streaming era, like, all we do is make mix CDs basically with our playlist. Yeah. All it is with our playlist are mix CDs. And so it's just not as much for the artist. Where's the value yeah. in, in jumping on the soundtrack yeah. anymore? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know where it is. Unless, you're, new, unless you're a new artist. Yeah. Like I can see new artists jumping on the soundtrack to get their name out there. But like you said, Ken, the more you would have liked some more established names yeah. to jump on this and, and, and this do what they do. Or, this, or, yeah. or maybe not established, but artists that like represent what the theme at the theme of the movie. Like Killer Mike could have had a song on here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Run the Jewels. If Run the, the Run Jewels. the Jewels could have had a had a, oh, yeah, had a they would have, on here. You could have taken any one of their last tracks and put it on here, it would have been fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have worked. It would have worked. It would have worked. Um you know what's weird? I I was having just thought I don't outside of like the the uh, Rush Hour Two soundtrack I don't know the Bub the Rim soundtrack I don't know a lot of like great hip hop soundtracks soundtracks I mean I guess Black Panther Black I was Panther? gonna say I like I like Black Panther I did but was that a was that a hip hop soundtrack Yeah it was all right it was all right yeah, it was No all it had, all, the, I had, I had a couple of like R and B songs Okay okay was, yeah 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 it was all TDE that was a TDE that was a TDE <laughs> Yeah you're right Yeah. So it was a TDE, it was a TDE album yeah. covered as Black Panther album. Yeah, That's yeah. What it was. It was. And, I remember thinking that know, it was like this had nothing to do with Black Panther. <laughs> I was like, this is and, this is a very hard album. Well, well, it did, it did. Because listen, listen back at that at that Black Panther soundtrack because Kendrick still did. I think Kendrick did a good job of implementing um, some good African sounds and, and yeah. rhythms and beats to some of the tracks. So he tried. He tried to mask it well as a as a good you know um, movie soundtrack, and it did help that they did use it in the movie. He did all the stars, movie, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, they when, when that scene, the when the, when the movie it, it when the scene end or movie ended and all the stars started playing, it that shit did ride like it. That no, movie, I'm saying, it worked. It, wrote, it worked. Yeah. It really worked. It did work. So. They even used I, one with Future in the movie, and I was and at first I heard that song like, "Why is Future on this track?" Yeah. But now I'm like, yep. right, "It works! It works!" Yeah, yep, yep. And so, um, I would say that was the last. I really enjoyed because I still find myself listening to that soundtrack. Yeah, that was the last yeah. really good soundtrack, but for hip hop, for hip, for hip hop. You know, I'm going to say something wild. I actually think the Beyonce one isn't it? The Elite, The Lion King, The Lion King, um, with her. Her, she did a Lion King. She did a, an entire album. Yeah, there's not a bad song on that entire. See, I have to listen. See, I have girls. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I have listened. To, I have listened to the album backwards see, and forwards, sideways. Rock. Let me tell you why I can't say that because no. he saw my face and I was just like, hey. yeah, yeah. Ken was like, not. But I'm telling you, I am telling you, it's that is an elite album. I believe it. It's an elite album. I like because I've listened. I have listened to every little single song, and I there's no skips. 
I check it out. I, I heard. I mean, you, you, I listened to it once. You listened to it, but <laughs> I, I don't know because it's the product of me having listened to it. But my wife's a big Beyonce fan, and then my kids now, my daughters are like, yeah. You know what I'm but I yeah. have listened to every single piece of that song. I want to preface it with the Bayhive. I do enjoy Beyonce. I don't need you guys to come attack me. No, or yeah. come, yeah. I don't know. No, I know y'all First, they're gonna attack me because it's not Bayhive. It's Beehive. <laughs> Beehive. Yeah. I don't, whatever. So um, I'm a neutral party. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I, I think that was a lead album. Uh, so okay, so we got hip hop artists, and then you know I can't think like obviously the Best Man album that was R and B. Yeah. Um, Waiting to Exhale that was R and B. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless you want to go Boomerang, that's Boomerang. A, that was an R and B. Like, but there's not there's not a lot of great soundtracks, right? Mm. Honestly, and honestly, look back at some of those soundtracks: Best Man, Waiting to Exhale. Um, the Wood, I yeah. think, had a oh, soundtrack. The Wood had a good one, yeah, yeah. Oh, great movie. But a lot of them took old classic songs and just put them on the soundtrack because it fits the movie. Yeah. Um, when it, it honestly, when I look back at soundtracks, there's only like three or four songs that usually really hit it's that true. were new, like, new songs you never heard before. That's true. There was only maybe a handful. Right. Maybe a, a handful. Of, a lot of them were already songs that were already out and yeah. to the masses. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Nutty Professor had a good, nice soundtrack. That was a good. That was the one with Janet Jackson and it. Yeah. With Kate, yep. touch me, tease me. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um. Anyway, all right. So we've ended on music. I wanted to uh, because, and we talked about sparking. Um, I'm going to do something here. And play a person that I think we we mentioned in this podcast. Oh, here it is. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do. It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world. But I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. And that's our job, is to spark somebody else watching us. We, we might not be the ones, but let's not be selfish. And because we're not going to change the world, let's not talk about how we should change it. I don't know how to change it. But I know if I keep talking about how dirty it is out here, somebody's going to clean it up. I wanted to end on... T- on Pac, because he definitely would have been on the soundtrack if he was alive. Um, but uh, we talked about where I, where I wanted this movie because I wanted it to spark the minds of people, and it didn't do that for me. Um, I'm going to give you all some final thoughts because I'm going to end on a final thought that you all don't know how I'm going to end it, but go ahead. Uh, I'll go ahead first, Rob. Uh, all right. Again, the movie was a good movie. Okay. I respect everybody in the movie. I respect the fact that they made this movie. Um, I feel like my personal opinion is my personal opinion, and I think everybody should watch it. I think everybody should do some research on the Black Panther Party, Red Hampton, um, Huey P. Newton, a few others out there to get a better understanding of what the Black Panther Party was about. Um, a lot of times they depict us as aggressive animals who are out here trying to take over. Um, I think we need to do some more research um, and and just better understand what's going on out here. If we don't know the past, we're going to repeat the future, and it's going to be terrible. So I feel like, again, watch the movie. Like Cam said, did it spark anything inside of me? Nah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel any spark. But again, watch it, 
enjoy it, go learn, and um, and understand that you know we gotta do better out here. All right, bars. Yeah. <laughs> bars. I, I, hold, on, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, because that was such a bar, <laughs> right? That was such a bar. I try every now and then, man. I don't talk too much. Yeah, listen. <laughs> That's called motherfucking bars. <laughs> That's so sexy. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Go ahead, Rob. So, yeah, to basically piggyback off of what Ken said. Um, you know, the the hype was there. We we got excited. We got super excited for this movie and what it could do and what it could bring. And in the end, um, between the three of us, we were underwhelmed by what we saw and what was presented to us. But like Ken said, that does not take away from the fact that go form your own opinion. This is still a good movie in just, in just watching a movie. This is still a good movie and go and do your own research and learn more about Fred Hampton. There was when, um, before the movie came out, I went on YouTube, easily found plenty of great content, plenty of great content about this young man, this young revolutionary, this young leader. Um, and so, you know, hey, enjoy it. Enjoy it for what it is. Take from it for what you want to take from it. And then just educate yourself on your own time about more details and more in-depth about who Fred Hampton really was. Google is your friend. Google is your friend. It is. At this point, you know, sometimes they're tracking you. They're, well, they're, they're, tracking. they're always tracking us. But, uh, <laughs> that's, another, that's another podcast. <laughs> right, but yeah, they, you know, in this aspect, Google is your friend. Um, all right. Thank you, Rob. That was dope. That was always a blessing. So I'm going to say this. Uh, first of all, if you guys are looking for more content on the Black Panther Party, I recommend this. Uh, I was pulling from this thing throughout this podcast. It's the... Black, Pat- Black Panther's leader of the Vanguard. It was a PBS documentary that came out came a couple of years ago. Um, it's a great documentary, and there's so- tons of different documentaries. Um, obviously, there's called Eyes on a Prize. Um, I had some clips I didn't get to play. I had tons of clips. I had like 20 clips. I was prepared for this podcast. Um, so it was tons of stuff, man, on there. Um, Bill O'Neill's full interview, um, just an entire concept of it what i was looking for in this movie was the characterization a proper characterization of fred hampton i didn't get that i got it through the purview of bill o'neill which looking back and understanding the title i get it i didn't think they needed to do that but with that being said it's a good watch um i think the the director writer of the movie said he wanted to use a departed like what if the black panther party was we were looking through it the eyes of like the departed that leonardo dicaprio martin scorsese movie um, you know, and, and in that like infiltrating an organization. And I said, okay, that's, I mean, that's how you sell it to a studio. And I get why he got funding. But to me, that's not a, that doesn't make for a culturally changing story. I think it makes for a nice finance movie. And so um, I started off this podcast by playing uh, a poem by Gil Scott Haran. And um, you will not, the revolution would not be televised. And I didn't tell you all this, but I wrote a poem this morning. And so um, it's not on the level of, so don't, don't uh, judge it, but it's called, What is a Revolution? I haven't read this out loud because I'd like to do this authentically. 
I literally wrote it this morning. So if you see me fumbling over some words, please, please uh, give me some grace. But if you think it's bad, y'all can say it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you can say it's trash. Okay. That if, you're whack, if you're whack, if you're whack, if I'm whack, I, I'll I'll own up to it. Yo, my my call more John Blaze than that, son. No, 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 what is a revolution? Can you feel it? Can you touch it? Why does something so heavy, so poignant, so real have a hard time being described about its physical appearance? If a revolution cannot be televised, well, then can it be streamed? Can the death of a man whose neck we sat on for 8 minutes and 46 seconds be carried across the world in just a blink of an eye? Is that the revolution? What about if somebody changes the name of a street? Is that the revolution? Or if a company finally acknowledges that representation is an important factor in their company growth, is that the revolution? The term revolution is defined as the motion or rotation of a celestial body on its axis, but also means a fundamental change in the way of thinking about or visualizing something. How can it be two things at once? Can we change and rotate around the axis of oppression? Expecting it with expecting the reaction of our emotions to change it? Or do we remove ourselves from this hamster wheel of progress and finally acknowledge that no change ever happens if we are simply spinning on our wheels? What are we revolving around if the system of oppression and inequality is the basis and the center of our society? Why are we so beholden to wheels of an immobile vehicle? Who does that serve? Is that the revolution Fred Hampton gave his life for? You see, I have these questions that need answering, but I have a hard time describing what I want because I don't know what a revolution is, but I know what it ain't. A revolution is not a social media post. A revolution is not a hashtag. A revolution is not a talking point in a political speech. A revolution is not the name, of, name change of a street or an urban environment. A revolution is not the product of comfortability and ease. A revolution is hard. A revolution is honest. A revolution is unwavering. And sometimes there is friction. A revolution is bloody. America was founded on a revolution. The very idea permeated the air of the earliest colonists. They understood that spinning on the axis of British empowerment was not going to be the change they needed. And yet, when in modern times those in power are challenged with the concept of revolution, it is normally dressed in reform. America was not created on reform. We did not rebrand ourselves as an offshoot of the British Empire. This place birthed through the labor pains of political freedom. It is literally in our American DNA. So when I say I want a revolution, you know damn well what I mean. I want a revolution. I don't want reform. I want a revolution. I don't want refrain. I want a revolution. I don't want regurgitation of sorrow. I want a revolution. I don't want redress. I want a damn revolution. That's the end.
nigga come out here being a thespian out here. That means an actor. Uh, whatever it is. You know, you know what I meant. Y'all stop. You know what I meant. Use the big words. Using big words out here. You know what I meant. Yeah, you know I'm saying. Okay. Use your umdula biala, whatever. Or as Cam likes to say, just pose. How you say it? That's one of your favorite words? Just pose. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I heard that last one. Yeah, I heard the last part was she tried you. But I ain't gonna, we ain't gonna talk about she, that. She tried me, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, man. But that was good, man. That was good stuff, man. I appreciate it. You that know, was good. That was very, very well done. Yeah, very right. well done. I very point it. very point. Yeah. Not trash. Not trash. Not okay. trash. Well, that's Not important. Trash. Not. But I'm gonna <laughs> actually post that. Um you should find that on KamaraWilliams.com. Since I y'all y'all didn't uh disapprove of it, that's gonna be posted. And with that being said, uh we gonna ride out. So